Last week, we previewed the Canadian division and the West division, and now we're going to take a look at the other two divisions that have next to no pushovers. Is it possible that the best team in the league just one season ago has a massive fall from grace? Episode 250 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett T. Buff. I believe, uh, Brett, we are going to start with the East Division, unless we have a couple of notable news and notes to get yeah. out of the way first. Yeah, we have one news story uh, so far. I mean, other than re-signings like uh, John Marino, Vince Dunn, and Pierre-Luc Dubois all signed this week, but... Uh, the main one that we talked about uh, was on a team that had to do with last week um, is uh, Derek Broussard. He goes to the Arizona, Arizona Coyotes um, for one year, $1 million. You can actually, Derek Broussard was actually pretty decent last year, if I recall correctly. So um, this could work out for them, and especially now that Arizona doesn't have that many centers since they, uh, you know, Soderbergh's. Uh, off to, uh, I think it's uh, Chicago. Chicago, and they traded uh, Stepan to Ottawa, so they need, they're in need of centers, and Derek Broussard will probably be there, and I, I would assume Barrett Hayden would be the other center um, that they're going to use, um, so so maybe they'll do that, and I think like even Hayden, Clayton Keller was a center at one point, um, but I doubt he'll be a center there. Uh, I guess they also have like Nick Schmaltz and Christian Dvorak as centers, so I guess they're um, they could find some centers anyways. But yeah, I like this move for um, the Derek uh, to for the Coyotes, but um, it doesn't like necessarily move the needle so much where um, you know it's it's going to uh, affect the my prediction of the Coyotes. I still think they're going to miss the playoffs. I feel like uh, the ingredients that they're putting into their team offensively and defensively, I, I feel it's just like this concoction of like menu options or whatever. Like, oh, what if I put this menu item with this menu item? And like, what kind of combo can they make? And it's 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 a 50-50 shot or even like um like a 33-33-33 shot where it could it could either be better than what it looks it could be better or it just could be bad so um yeah i don't know what Derek Broussard is going to do with the Coyotes the thing with the Derek Broussard situation last year is he was in a bottom six role where he wasn't the guy and you had guys ahead of him in the pecking order like Jean-Gabriel Pajot that could take face-offs. Um, so he's probably going to be like, what, a number one or a number two center with Arizona? Not necessarily sure in his 30s what that's going to look like, but um, I guess there's one way to find out. When we play the games, we'll, we'll figure out what uh, kind of a death piece that he is. And even then, like, you only got him on a one-year deal. You're being basically play, uh, paying him dirt cheap money you can always move him for futures if it doesn't work out so it's a low right. risk high reward yeah 
yeah, I guess that, that's a good point, too. They could always trade him afterwards. Um, okay, so we're going to start things off with my team here. So last week we covered Steve's team's Ottawa, and I, we did the storylines um, so that Steve would get the Ottawa Senators, and this time we're doing the storyline so I would get Boston. And yeah, yeah, I'm going to turn off my mic and let you vent because I'm sure you have a lot to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was about to say, it's like, it was funny because when we were doing the preview last week for the stuff, I was thinking like, wow, Steve really has a huge rant for the Senators. It's like, I don't think I'll have a rant for the Bruins at any time. <laughs> and then meanwhile, like the, probably and the biggest... You get your Alfie Doomsday. You get <laughs> yeah. your Alfie Doomsday. Exactly, exactly. So, um... I get. I mean, I was gonna say unless you're living under a rock, but I guess it is possible that you haven't heard of it. Uh, so Zdeno Chara, it goes to the Washington Capitals um, for a one-year deal, um, and it's. Uh, let me see here. It's one point. Um, oh, it's seven. It's seven ninety-five thousand dollars. So I think that's league minimum. Uh, for where he's uh, the going. The league minimum is 700000 Okay. Uh, that's the worst you can pay somebody. So, so not almost. Not even 800 pay, not even the league minimum, but still yeah. something that Boston could have afforded probably. Of course, yeah, yeah. Um, so so he goes there, um, and this was already when, like, the Bruins have, they don't have Tory Krug, they don't have Joachim Nordstrom as well, and then the only additions they have are Craig Smith, Greg McKegg, um, and they technically get back Kevin Miller. I guess we're counting that as an addition, even though he's technically, he was on LTIR for all of last year. So, um, so there's, so there is like a danger in the Bruins becoming the Winnipeg Jets of last year, where if you remember the Winnipeg Jets, they lost out on Truba, uh, uh, Chiriot and um, Bufflin is gone. Tyler Myers was also gone. So they lost four of their defensemen. This time, um, they they don't have Krug. They don't have Chara. Um, and yes, so first off, I want to mention that, yes, I know that Chara is 43 years old. Um, I also know that Tori Krug um, isn't great defensively speaking for a defenseman. Um, but... There is something to the um, experience of the team, the leadership that both those guys bring to the locker room, um, the um, just the veteran leadership that's going to happen and just like shut down stuff. It's like, you know, yes, we have the flashy players in Marshawn. Yes, we have the, and uh, Pasternak, um, but... You know, if you don't have leaders in your locker room, you're not going to do well. Um, so, I I don't know. Um, it means that our, I guess, what ended up happening for Chara is supposedly, it's kind of like a he said, she said type of situation, it seems, where Don Sweeney said something along the lines of that, they offered Chara something, but it was like they were only going to give Chara a seventh, like D spot, or like he would be healthy scratch most of the time because they want to make room for guys like 
Yuriho Vakanainen, and um, there's someone else who I'm missing out on. Um, uh, yeah, Urho is the main one, though. Um, and um, and they wanted to, and I guess Jacob Saboral is another one <laughs> that they want to see what they have in him. Um, and and yeah, I guess when you I list out these guys, like Charlie McAvoy, Matt Grizzlick, Brandon Carlo, John Moore, Connor Clifton, and Jeremy Lazan are our six defensemen right now. Um, and that's not even including Kevin Miller. Um, or, you know, the two other guys that I said. So yes, I, I guess that's okay. I feel like Matt Grizzlick, Brandon Carlo are both underrated, defensively speaking, and they can uh, definitely make up for what we were lacking. But at the same time, Chara's been around for 14 years on the Bruins stuff. He's a big reason why the Bruins are have sustained success uh, for a dec- more than a decade. Um, and it's just, and then uh, it's just like, so like, yes, I know he's 40. And yes, I know he probably, uh, like, no person will like be like okay with just being a healthy scratch person most of the time so I get why he wants to leave but at the same time it's just like it's just a terrible way of dealing with your veteran players like and I'm, I'm sure he's gonna I'm I have no doubt he's getting his re, his number retired uh once once he does retire but it's just, um, and I guess he Chara has said that he he's he lives in Boston still, and you know even after this stint in Washington, he'll still stay there. It's just I don't know. I, I guess I'm I'm not I'm upset with how Sweeney dealt with it, um, and and not like the actual move that he made like it, it does make sense to go to the future and you, you can't really rely on a 43 year old to be like your second best defenseman but at the same time I, I feel like Chara should could help all these young guys grow into who they are um, he's already done it for Charlie McAvoy because they were you know uh, pairing uh, for a while now and um, you know Matt Grizzlick he could also help Matt Grizzlick. He could also help Urho Vakanainen. Uh, he he helped out Brandon Carlo in his rookie year as well. So, um, you know, he's he's kind of taken that, that role on, that mentor role on later on in his career. And that's something that's not a lot of guys can bring and something that's going to be sorely missed. And, of course, like, you know, even though he isn't as effective as he used to be, like just having that tall guy there um just like you know just brings the intimidation factor even more um so just from like an identity perspective it's it's gonna be rough and um and personally I feel like the Bruins are gonna be worse off than they were before I still have them in the playoffs but I don't have them as a one or two seed I have them as like a four seed (laughs) um in the division and I I think that's that case. And then, um, yeah, I was all set to talk about like losing Tory Krug and we didn't really address that issue either. Um, you know, so maybe, we'll, you know, Sammy Vatten's still available. There's, um, you know, I, I know Steve will, Steve has been harping on OEL being on the list as well. So 
maybe that will happen too. But um, yeah, it, it feels, I don't know. It's just, I, I'm not, I, I think I'm like cautious about having all these young guys in the defensive zone here. Um, and I'm not necessarily sure it's going to work. Um, and not to mention the fact that both Marshawn and Pasternak are reeling from injuries too. So uh, this might be one of those years where, where you know, the Bruins aren't going to be as good as they were um, or that we're used to seeing. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. And, um, I mean, just as a whole too, just from, like, the Boston perspective, they, you know, <laughs> Boston loses Tom Brady, Mookie Betts, and Zdeno Chara all in one year. And those were all, like, poster childs for Boston sports for a long time. Um, and that's, it's just sad. Uh, so now it's like, you know, the Patriots aren't in the playoffs anymore. Um, I, th- I still think the Bruins are going to be in the playoffs, but anyways, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I think that's the end of my rant here. Um, but yes, that is my storyline is how are the Bruins going to cope without Krug and Chara um, and I'm not sure if that's going to happen. I'm surprised you didn't mention Kyrie Irving when you were talking about poster boys for Boston sports. Well, uh, I wouldn't consider that he's a poster yeah. boy, really. Um, yeah, neither would I. I guess, um, I guess you could say Gordon Hayward, but I mean, at the yeah. same time, I feel like it, when you win a, when you win a, um, a championship with Boston, then you're a poster boy material, yeah. but you're not. Kyrie Irving, no way. <laughs> yeah. I guess you're right. I mean, Toronto considers um, Kawhi Leonard a, a folk hero. Yeah, because he wanted to as they should. Yeah, left after that. But yeah, um, yeah. Uh, we're not here to talk about Toronto. We're here to talk about the Bruins, though. Uh, yeah. The good news is they kept Jake DeBrus. That's 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 kind of something, I guess. They give him an extra two years, and I think he definitely has potential to. Um, be a good offensive player. I think finally emerge as a top six player. We've been waiting for that. Um, I think consistently is is the key word. He needs to be consistently good. Um, there are times where his shooting percentage is around 11 to 12%. Then year two of his NHL career, it's up to 17.3%. But his impact on the offense is very noticeable since joining the Bruins in 2017-18. He's fourth on the team in goals with 62, fourth on the roster in power play goals with 17. He has 14 game winners, so that's tied for third. 120 points, that's good enough for six on the team. And his 58 assists are eighth on the team. And I think they're going to need more from DeBrusque in order to be successful. Thankfully, they bring in Craig Smith to help out the bottom six depth. Um, and I think losing Joaquin Nordstrom, if you have to get Craig Smith, uh, honestly, that's a slight upgrade. Yep. Um, and don't forget guys like Charlie Coyle and David Krejci, who have been unsung heroes for years. And on top of losing Chera and losing Krug, um, Pasternak and Marshall, I believe, are recovering from surgery. So if they get off to a slow start, um, Coyle and Krejci are going to have to be prepared to to eat up big minutes there. Um, the problem with the Bruins is that they had Ottawa to dunk on, they had Detroit to dunk on, they had Buffalo to dunk yep. on. And when Montreal didn't feel like ruining everything, they could dunk on them as well. But there is, outside of the Devils, and maybe the Sabres if they underperform, as usual, there's no safe path in this division. Right. Like, 
The Rangers are a threat. The Flyers almost took the division crown from Washington until the pandemic hit, and Washington won the division, and Pittsburgh's still a threat. There's a lot of dangerous teams. Even without Carolina, this division is very, very strong. And those gaping holes on defense, like, sure, Charlie McAvoy could be the power play quarterback with Krug gone, but Kevin Miller hasn't played much hockey at all since the start of last season because he's been hurt with injuries. Even a depth guy like Alex Petrovic is no longer in the Bruins. He's off elsewhere. And even though Cher is 43 years old, I feel like you could have used him even as a third-pairing guy. Um, so I, I definitely think losing his leadership, I, I guess, won't hurt as much overall because you have a guy like Bergeron, but it's going to hurt their defense. And I definitely think your concerns are noted, and I definitely think a team that went, let's see, 44, 14, and 12 finished with the best record in the league, the only team to register 100 points, had a power play that was clicking at 25.2%, and had a penalty kill that was 84.3% successful last year, it would not surprise me if this team goes from being that good to fighting by the skin of their teeth for the fourth seat. It would not surprise me if Boston is on the edge of missing out. And I'm not going to say right now if they miss out, but it's certainly possible that they could. Yeah, I'm... I wouldn't be surprised either. I think they'll be fighting for that spot just because of um, who they lose, and there's always that risk of it. Uh, we didn't even mention the fact that, like, you know, we don't know how... I feel like Tuka Rask at this point, um, as much as I love him, and we've talked ad nauseum about um, how good he is, but, um, we like, you know, just the fact that he opted out last year um, and, you know, he made those comments about, like, it's not the same um, without fans, so we don't know how that's going to affect him with another game without fans as well. Um, The plus side of not having Chara um, and Krug is, well, there's two things. Um, One is that Patrice Bergeron is going to be the next captain. Um, He's been the cap. He's pretty much been the captain um, for for a while, it just had, hadn't been announced. He was arguably a captain even more than Chara was. So um, it's good to all. I I will love um, Bergeron having that C on the on on his chest, and that will sell a lot here in Boston. So um, so if if Boston needs more money, that's a way to do it. Is uh, just make Bergeron the captain and. Um, every Bruins fan, including me, who doesn't usually buy jerseys, will will get a, a jersey. Um, I'm more concerned about the hands of time catching up to yeah. Rask and Lack and Krejci yeah. and Bergeron than I'm concerned about Tuka Rask not being motivated to play. He will yeah. be motivated. It's just how much raw talent does he have left in the tank? And right. I don't know if we're going to see the Vezina Trophy Tuka Rask or the... Yeah typically lights out version of Yaroslav Halak. I'm, I'm not sure if we're going to see that, especially in a division this good. So that's, yeah. I'm more concerned the hands of time and the raw skill catching up to those guys than I am concerned about motivation to play games. Yeah, I mean, we're about to get into how tough this division is, but we can already tell you it's not like they won't be able to beat up on the Senators or the, I mean, I guess the Canadians and the Red Wings always 
play the Bruins well, but they won't. They won't have like the like they will have tougher competition in the division. So that is a good point. Yeah. Um, and as which I is why a yeah. slow start could really hurt them. Exactly. Um, the other good news uh, with Charon Krug is out is that Charlie McAvoy is finally the top dog here. I remember I've been talking. Um, him up for a long while now and his time is now because they've built him up as this like next big thing I mean he has a lot of shoes to fill because he doesn't only have to fill Tory Krug's role but I think he also has to fill in Chara's role as well um, and I mean I, I think that's a lot to ask for of him I think he he'll be able to fill Tory Krug's role as that a power play specialist especially but um, I would imagine that the Bruins are going to find another defenseman that will be able to take like the shutdown role effectively. I would imagine that's going to be Erho Vakaninen if he's as good as everyone's saying he is, that he's like a really good shutdown defenseman. So um, so maybe that will happen. We'll see. Um, but yeah, I think um, the Bruins will, it's going to be an interesting year for sure. Um, and another note that I want to pass on that I'm curious about um, is Andre Caché and Craig Smith. Um, yeah. And I've been, you know, I think for a while now, the Bruins have been trying to find who will be that right winger alongside David Krejci and Jake DeBrusque on the second line. Um, they haven't really had anyone since Aginla. Um and um and that was like five years ago so yeah, it was like yeah 2013 14 season yes. yeah so um and that was when we had like milan lucic too started this yeah. podcast basically so yes yes for, for just before how long ago that was yeah just before so um so yeah they've been looking for that guy and i think like in part the big reason why the bruins didn't even get go out and get a taylor hall or mike hoffman is because they, you know, they felt that Andre Caché didn't, um, you know, only played in a couple of games, but that was going to be their piece to be a part of, like, the second line or be a part of that top six line. So I think that, like, especially when David Pasternak's going to be out for a while, this will be a good case study to see what Craig Smith's going to be doing, what Andre is going to be doing, um, and what they have in those guys. Um and, you know, maybe Anders Bjork can take the next step. I, I'm kind of giving up on him, to be honest, but maybe he has something left. I don't know. Um, it'll be a, a nice surprise if that does happen. Um, and Nick Ritchie would be the biggest surprise in my life if he somehow is um, at least capable in hockey, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, that and a 20-goal season by Zach Sanushin. Like, yeah. we've been waiting for how many years exactly. for him to get, like, even a shot so, at the NHL? So, yeah, so the Bruins do have a lot of question marks this year. Um, but, you know, it's hard to really count this team out at the same time because they do have that top line. And they do have Tuka Rask, and we know what he's capable of. Um, it's just now they're less scary because they don't have um, the intimidating got forced like Zdeno Chara and they don't have the power play specialist uh, that Tori Krug brings. So uh, they're less intimidating than they once were and they didn't really address that in any of the additions they made. 
So it's um, so it might be rough. There is a, a definite chance that the Bruins might miss the playoffs. Um, however, there's also a good chance that the Bruins will make the playoffs, and we're over exaggerating <laughs> this um, at the same time. So we'll we'll see. Yeah, and I will uh, just. Um put it out to the world that uh, Brett and I have made a wager. I put this wager on my phone. If by January 1st, 2022, Oliver Ekman Larson is not a member of the Bruins, I will buy a Bruins jersey and Brett will choose the player that goes on the back of the jersey. We've agreed on Bergeron. I told him he can change it up if he wants, but for now, I will get a Bergeron jersey if by January 1st of next year, Oliver Ekman Larson is is not a Boston Bruin. I am that yeah. certain he is going there. I I don't think OEL is going to be in Boston this year, but I wouldn't be surprised if they get him next year. That's definitely possible. But um, but I mean, a bet's a bet, and so I I've kind of turned down Steve's uh, remarks, and that's what turned into the bet. Um, although I guess there isn't really nothing on my if. If uh, Oliver Ekman Larson isn't a defenseman, uh, or isn't a Bruin um, next year, I don't get anything. But whatever, I'm I'm okay with not receiving anything if, if that happens. <laughs> um, okay, let's go to the Buffalo Sabers here. Um, so they they made uh, the additions of getting Taylor Hall. They also got Eric Stahl. And um, they also sign um, Cody Eakin. So they kind of uh, made a formidable line on their top half there, um, which would help them out. I would also imagine that Dylan Cousins is also probably going to make um, a, an appearance um, in Buffalo as well. Um, so you can stay tuned for that. But who knows how long it's going to be. And it could just be those six games so they don't burn his... Um, his ELC, but we'll see. Um, in terms of subtractions, they don't have Marcus Johansson, they don't have Dominic Cahoon, they don't have Jimmy VC, and they don't have Wayne Simmons. Um, and yeah, the Sabres were one of those seven teams that didn't make the bubble, um, but they started out strong though. So, um, and of course, they have Jack Eichel, they have uh, Sam Reinhart and Rasmus Dahlin. Um, and all that stuff. So what is your storyline for this Buffalo Sabres uh, this year? My jaw will hit the floor if they're in last place. I can tell you that much. They, they, they look like contenders to me. I don't know if, I don't know if they're pretenders, but they, they look like contenders to me. Um, first off, the offseason begins with the firing of GM Jason Botterill. Kevin Adams is the not-so-new fresh face calling the shots. He's been in the organization's front office for a while now, and you can't deny the impact that he's made in the first couple of months. Um, he, the, the drafting of Jack Quinn over Marco Rossi is a bit of a head-scratcher, but he also got J.J. Paterka in the later rounds, and that adds to... A very talented team already. Uh, you bring in a face-off veteran in Eric Stahl, who I think, with the deep with the right line mates, I think can probably still produce at a point per game or certainly close to that. Um, you already have Jack Eichel. You already have Sam Reinhardt and Jeff Skinner. Uh, Victorson has shown in his rookie year that he can be an offensive force and a major threat with the extra man, which is something that 
Buffalo really needs. They need power play production. It was 18.9% successful in 2019-2020. In previous years, it's been better. Uh, you also add Tobias Reeder and Cody Eakin, like Brett said, to their bottom six. And sure, you trade away Marcus Johansson. Sure, Jimmy Vesey's gone. Sure, Wayne Simmons is gone, but he didn't really do too much offensively. You don't have McHale for Leak. Who cares, really? Dominic Cahoon would have been nice to keep him. I don't know why they didn't. Um, and you lose Yoan Larson to the Coyotes. But even yeah. then, the names that you bring in offer a lot to the table. And that big name that they bring in isn't Eric Stahl, it's Taylor Hall, yep. who is on board for at least one season. So already your top six has Eric Stahl and Eichel and Reinhardt and Skinner, and now you add Taylor Hall to that? Like, giddy up. Buffalo looks like they're in prime position um, to be a, a pretty good contender because this Buffalo team, before they got Eric Stahl, before they got um, – the likes of Taylor Hall, they started off the past two seasons scorching hot. And sure, they didn't sustain it, but, like, they're capable. They're capable of being a threat in whatever division they're in. So it's just a matter of sustaining that, and it looks like this could be their best chance to do that. Of course, none of their offense matters if you can't stop the puck, and that's been the problem. They scored, let's see, 119 three goals last year gave up 215 goals against their penalty kill was 74.6 percent successful that's worse than the sense yeah that's how bad it was in, in fact let's take a look at uh detroit's penalty kill detroit by the way didn't even win 20 games how successful was detroit on the penalty kill let me take a look 74.3 so buffalo is so detroit is 74.3 74.6. So Buffalo was only 0.3% better than the lowly Detroit Red Wings at killing penalties. And they were in the same and they were in the same division last year. They were going up against teams like Tampa Bay and Toronto and Boston. And Florida too that had a deadly power play as well. So that's that's really the Achilles heel is defense and goaltending, and the penalty kill is is a big part of that. And all they did to improve their defense is bring in Matt Irwin, bring in Brandon Davidson. You re-signed Brandon Montour for another campaign. All right, that's great. Aside from that, outside of Rasmus Dahlin and Rasmus Ristolainen and Colin Miller and a bunch of young defensemen, their defense is basically the same outside of Matt Irwin and Brandon Davidson. Right. So, frankly, it doesn't matter what they did on offense. If their defense doesn't show up, who gives a damn? You have the exact same goaltending, too. Carter Hutton and Linus Olmark. They're they're on board basically for another year, and then after that, who really knows? And it's no coincidence that the last year they made the playoffs was with Ryan Miller in net, and it's been like six, seven, eight years since he left. So unless you get good goaltending and good defense and your penalty kill is better, I don't care if their power play scores on 30% of – their overall chances this season they still have to beat out teams in this division like boston and philly and washington and pittsburgh i don't know if they can do it if their defense isn't up to snuff and their goaltending isn't up to snuff so ultimately the storyline is going to come down to not scoring goals but preventing goals and it's been that way in buffalo for years and until that changes 
it's going to be the same storyline that we continue to bring up because it's what it's what's plagued them. Yeah, I think I'm. I don't know. I I think the Taylor Hall stuff will probably help, and Erasmus Dahlin is only going to get better. Same with Jack Eichel, obviously too. But um, I I don't know. I I feel like it's. I feel like it's too risky to even, like, say that they're going to make the playoffs or something. Like, they are definitely a better team, I agree with you, uh, but it's just, I don't know. I feel like they, they've burned me too many times to, like, really trust them um, for the full season. It's like, I'll, I'll see it when I see it kind of thing. Um, yeah, like, if, if they were in a division like the Coyotes are in now, where yeah. you have, like, the Sharks and the Kings yeah. and the Ducks then maybe, yeah, a realistic shot. But in a league with no – in a division with no pushovers besides maybe New Jersey, like, yep. you're going to have – like, just even, like, in the realm of, like, the Rangers, Flyers, Capitals, Penguins, and, and Bruins, like, one of those five teams will be missing out. Yeah. So, like, that's how tough it is. Yeah, it, it's, it's definitely – probably the toughest division of the four so mm-hmm. um by far yeah so i think that that's that's definitely gonna hurt them but um yeah i feel like the bigger question mark for buffalo is not their offense because i think like even if victor olafson and jeff skinner uh take you know uh regress even further um you know like i think taylor hall should help them a lot and Eric Stahl should help them a lot too. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, they will be a better team, but I don't think it's going to be enough to, um, to compete with all those other teams that you just mentioned. So yeah, we'll see. Um, all right, let's go to the next team, which is the New Jersey devils. Um, they kind of, uh, also kind of had, a bad luck of the draw too. Uh, I remember last year we were all thinking that they were going to be like the best team um, or like this surprise team, but it turns out that didn't actually happen. Um, but uh, cause they, you know, they draft, uh, they draft Jack Hughes, they draft um, or they take uh, Nikita Gusev and they also get uh, PK Subban. Both those last two were, through a trade, so we assumed like, okay, they're you know they're making a push and stuff, and then we kind of forgot that they also have to play defense, um, and that's that didn't happen really. Um, so New Jersey, they add Corey Crawford, um, they also add Andreas Janssen, uh, Ryan Murray's also on there, Dmitry Kulikov. Um, I also um, have an asterisk, which means like a newcomer, but technically isn't an addition. Um, is uh, Ty Smith, so he'll probably make the team as well. Um, also, uh, there's uh, P.K. Subban um, broke up with Lindsey Vaughn, and I have a theory that uh, the, the reason why P.K. Subban hasn't been as good as we all expected him to be last year was because, or the last couple of years, was because he was dating Lindsey Vaughn. So now that he doesn't have to focus on the relationship of things might be a little bit sexist. I don't know, but, um, maybe he'll, now that he's focusing more on hockey, there's a chance that he'll be back to form. We'll see. 
But that's not my storyline. Um, well, oh, and also New Jersey um, subtracts uh, Corey Schneider. Um, but my storyline here is uh, apparently Jack Hughes has gained 14 pounds, but not like fat uh, of muscle. Um, and I remember on draft day, that was like a big thing about him is that Jack Hughes was incredible his draft year. Um, he's always been incredible. Even like last year, he's been incredible. But this year, um, but like the thing that everyone was saying is that once he adds muscle, he's going to be like a monster. And 14 pounds of muscle is, um, is, is a lot of muscle, obviously. And if you want to get a better sense of this, um, if you're if anyone's watching the World Juniors, um, supposedly they said the same thing about Trevor Zegris, um, and uh, he gained ten pounds of muscle recently, and now he's like one of the he's probably the best player in the World Juniors right now, um, and so now I'm just wondering if you apply the same kind of thing to Jack Hughes. And, you know, you, you he, like something that he did that no one really has done is he skipped a level of NHL, basically, because he went from the like the USHL to the NHL in one snap, which is like two levels of of play there. And he did, you know, he did decently. He had 21 points in 61 games. So now that he has an extra amount of experience he has some muscle on his body. I'm curious to see if this is going to be like Jack Hughes's coming out party where he's going to break out and be the guy that we all expected him to be last year and that he is going to be this year. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what, what that does. Um, I also think like there was, uh, I remember a lot of people were saying that like, you know, Nikita Gusev really got figures, started to figure things out late on in his, the end of his, um, season. And so did Mackenzie Blackwood. Um, so, so maybe there is like a chance that the devils with all those things considered, um, there is a chance that the devils could surprise a lot of teams and maybe sneak into the playoffs. Um, I don't know if I necessarily believe it just because, you know, I think Philly, Pittsburgh and Washington and Boston are tough competition um, and the Rangers as well um, and uh, the Islanders. But um, but it's it's definitely like not impossible for the Devils to be a good team this year. Yeah, I think with the Devils, again, they're hurt by the fact that this division is very, very good. Yeah. I definitely think they're going to be one of the teams that uh, really shows um, degrees of improvement. Uh, they have Lindy Ruff behind the bench. Alan Nazardine, who's the interim coach, is still an assistant coach with the team. Tom Fitzgerald isn't the interim GM anymore. He's their guy. Um, and really, the major changes were... You trade Joey Anderson for Andreas Janssen, so I would say that's an upgrade. Yep. You lose Dakota Mermis, eh, whatever. You lose John Hayden, eh, whatever. You buy Corey Schneider, yay, cap space. You lose Kevin Rooney, eh, whatever. It, it's not really that big of a deal. They didn't really lose anybody, and they gained Crawford and Ryan Murray and Dmitry Kulikov 
and Scott Wedgwood as goaltending depth. So I think they would, I would say they added more than they lost. And I think Mackenzie Blackwood, um, with his new multi-year bridge deal, I think not only is he going to improve, he could be this established starter as soon as this year. And Corey Crawford, I think it's a 1A, 1B situation to start off with, but I think you see Blackwood playing more and more games because let's not forget, these two guys were in the very same position with two different teams. Obviously, Blackwood was still with the Devils, but Crawford was with Chicago. Their defenses gave up a crazy amount of shots. The goalies were overworked. And there were times where on their performance alone, their team, if they didn't win games, they would at least have a shot to win until the very end. So I definitely think both guys can really feed off each other, can learn a lot from each other. Um, But even then, similar to Buffalo, like, sure, you have that young offense to work with and the addition of Andreas Janssen's great. Again, this defense, I would say, is at the same level of impressive as they were last year. Yeah, that's true. Like, even if P.K. Subban improves, you... You don't have Sammy Vatanen because you traded him to Carolina, and he's still out there, I guess. So maybe they turn around and sign him <laughs> to a cheap deal, although I yeah. I don't think that's realistic. But Dmitry Kulikov, who, who is all right, and Ryan Murray, who's been injury-prone, they're your only two main additions to your blue line? Yeah. I don't know if that's good enough to really improve your defense overnight, even Fair. if P.K. Subban really reverts back to his old offensive ways and he's great and he puts up like i don't know 40 plus points or something like that which in a shortened season like this would be great that'd be like 50 60 70 point base i'd happily take that for sure if i'm new jersey but at the end of the day the defense i don't think has what it takes to really contend with the beasts of this division and i think this at, at the end of the day, I look at New Jersey. I look at the fact that they killed off 82.4% of their penalties. That's great. Still, they gave up 224 goals, only scored 185. They won 28, 29, and 12, but only 24 of those wins were in regulation or overtime. I, I still don't know if their offense has what it takes, even if Jack Hughes makes uh, impressive strides, even if Nikita Gusev does the same where they're in a playoff position. I think if I'm New Jersey, what I really want to see is guys like Jack Hughes and Nikita Gusev really evolving into solid regular NHLers. If both can register at least 50 points, I like New Jersey's chances of contending in the coming years. And it's good experience for, again, the years to follow. Yeah. But I don't really see New Jersey as a playoff team in this tough division. And it's I don't think it's going to be anything that they do wrong. It's just everything that everyone else does right in their division. And it's just going to be really tough to overcome. I don't see the Devils usurping someone like Philly or Pittsburgh or Washington to get in the playoffs. I just, it's not going to happen. Yeah, I I guess that's a good point. Their defense is going to be, hasn't really improved. Or Ryan Murray or Dmitry Kulikov doesn't spring too much confidence in me and even if P.K. Subban gets back to his old self it it might not even be enough Um, I will say though that there is a chance that like Ty Smith could make a difference in New Jersey I just I don't think they'll be as bad as they were this year but I I don't know if 
But I agree with you. I don't think they'll make the playoffs either. I think New Jersey will be above 500. Yeah, I, I agree with that. they'll be an above 500 team by how much, I'm not quite sure, but they'll be above 500. And like you said, if they can get like Ty Smith and Kevin Ball into some NHL action, yeah. that'd be great for them. Because I definitely see them as, as key pieces of their yeah. future, including um, the, the prospect they got uh, from, from Tampa Bay in the Blake Coleman trade. Um, I can't remember his first name. His last Nolan name Foot. Foot. Nolan Foot. Nolan Foot, yes. If, if I think getting him into some NHL games would also be beneficial. Yeah. It, it all depends on how they employ the young guys into their lineup as well. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a good point, too, is that New Jersey is going to be in Taylor Hall's division. So the Buffalo-New <laughs> Jersey <laughs> games have <laughs> some... Taylor Hall's not yeah. in Arizona. Funny that. Yeah, I know. Unintentionally, but yeah. Um, okay, let's go to the um, New York Islanders here. Oh, and also I forgot to mention uh, that... I guess Nico Heischer injured himself, so he's not going to be um, ready opening day. But it's not like it's not seen super serious, but he's um, I think it's like a leg injury, so he'll be. Yeah. Um, we'll see, but um, that's another guy to watch out for, possibly like Jack Hughes as well. So, yeah. um, okay, let's go to the New York Islanders. Um, is our next team here. Um, so in terms of additions, um, Austin Zarnick, uh, Dmitry Tumishev, and Corey Schneider, I guess he gets a PTO um, as well. And then um, they technically, this is another one where they technically have uh, Ilya Sorokin in the system, but um, he officially signed a contract and it looks like he's going to be playing right away. Um, he's probably the most hyped Goalie prospects since, um, since Shesterkin, I guess. Yeah. Um. So, uh, so that's gonna be exciting. Or maybe I guess Carter Hart's another one too. Um, yeah, I would say yeah. Shesterkin and Hart's are. Yeah. yeah. Um. And then, uh, so that's that's kind of exciting there. Um. And then in terms of subtractions, they don't have Devin Tays. They don't have Thomas Grace. Zach. Uh. Sorry, Johnny Boychuk. Uh, he, he retired, and then they don't have Derek Broussard, as we just mentioned. So, um, so yeah, I, the Islanders uh, kind of surprised people in the bubble because they made it to the conference finals. Um, but uh, now they're, you know, you add the Bruins and the Sabres to their division, basically. Um, and it's, it, it's kind of tough now. So um, what the storyline for you here for the Islanders? Well, they're in a, in a precarious spot because like the New Jersey Devils, they don't score a lot of goals. As a matter of fact, they only scored four more than the Devils did last year. The key, the, the key difference is the Devils gave up 224 goals. The Islanders only gave up 190. So they had a negative one goal differential, but they had eight more regulation overtime wins than the Devils. They went 35, 23, and 10. That's a big difference from 28, 29, and 12. And their penalty kill wasn't as effective as New Jersey. It was still over 80%, and their power play was around uh, the same amount of success rate as the Devils. In fact, the Devils were 0.7% better than the Islanders. The Islanders scored on 17.3% of their power play chances the entire year. But let's not forget why the Islanders went to the conference finals. This roster is built for playoff hockey. 
this roster can win one goal games and they don't really care how they do it they just find a way to get results and i think key role playing guys like matt martin and andy green who have both agreed to terms on new contracts by the way are a big part of that you also have leo Komarov, casey Sezikis, um and they they also have a fair amount of skill uh, to complement uh, that grit and that character and that toughness uh, Ilya sorokin you mentioned him uh, been one of the most hyped goalies, one of the best goalies in the KHL the past few years. Honestly, would not surprise me if he emerges as a legit number one this year and usurps Barlamov. Uh, if he doesn't do that this year, then maybe next year if the Islanders bring him back. But this goaltending has to be good. It was the main reason why they were so good the year before last year and last year. And it's because Mitch Korn and Barry Trotz were able to turn Simeon Barlamov into a legit number one goaltender again. And there's no doubt that they could turn Sorokin into that as well. Obviously, Derek Broussard, a very good depth player for them, lost to Arizona. Devin Taves, an analytical darling, was dealt to Colorado. Tough loss for their defense. The good news is they still have the likes of hmm, uh, Ryan Pulak, uh, Adam Pellick, and Noah Dobson, who is also in the mix. Mitch Van de Sample is a defensive prospect that maybe gets more NHL minutes as a result of Boychuk retiring and Devin Tate's leaving. Um, so there are some promising uh, prospects that could uh, make an impact on this team as a result of those departures. You also have uh, the signing rights to Dmitry Timoshov, Austin Zarnik, yep. um, AJ Greer. They also brought in, uh, I would say, guys that could potentially fill those holes as well. Uh, maybe Kiefer Bellos and Oliver Wallstrom, Michael Del Cole, yep. Josh Hosang, who knows? Either of those guys uh, could fill those big voids, and I definitely think those young guys um, play a big part in that. But our, other than what I just went through, this roster is relatively unchanged. Like, the key players yep. are still there. Pajot had an unbelievable playoffs. He's locked in. Beauvillier had a great playoffs. Hopefully can build on that this year you have jordan Everle, andrews lee brock nelson and josh bailey decent top six forwards obviously the barzell holdout is a little bit concerning but it wouldn't surprise me if we at the time we record next week he's signed um well from what i'm hearing uh, his teammates feel very optimistic uh, that he'll get a deal done and barry trotz is still barry trotz he's been able to get the most out of his players doesn't matter where he's coached He's gotten results out of every single group that he's coached. And I am pretty confident uh, that this team, with the character that they have, with the amount of skill that they have, it wouldn't surprise me if they're a top four team again. But I think in order for the Islanders to be like a really legit threat, one of Noah Dobson or Sebastian Ajo need to emerge as future forces on the blue line. I think the additional spark plug needs to come from one of those two guys. Well, I feel, I, I do feel like um, Ryan Pulak is kind of an underrated defenseman, but yeah, I agree. I think they do need more help on the defensive side of things. Um, wait, what did I might have missed? Did you have a storyline for the Islanders, or did I miss that? Uh, just those two guys, one of Sebastian Ajo oh, and so, Noah Dobson emerging as a future force. Got it, Blue got it, my bad. That would be the... That would be the thing I'd really look forward to because outside of that, um, the Islanders are 
probably get this going to get the same amount of production from the same amount of players. And Beauvillier has already shown signs that he can be a legit top six forward for them. But I think with the with the likes of Devin Taves gone, you need to fill that defensive depth somehow. And I'm looking at Dobson or Aho as someone that can provide that. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, I, th- I think the other thing that we'll talk about is, um, I guess we'll talk about that next week, but Matthew Barzal, um, he, he still hasn't signed yet. It looks like he's holding out in training camp too. So that that's something to watch out for early on in the season as well. But I think we'll, we'll probably talk about it uh, next week as well. So that yeah, we something will, but I'm to, not worried about in the slightest. It'll get done. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think it helps that he's an RFA, but yeah. um, you never know. Sure. You never know. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, let's go to the Rangers here. Um, so they made, uh, so they got the first overall pick in, and they selected Alexis Lafreniere um, the interesting thing with that is is that they already have Panarin and they have Kreider, but um, still, that's, that's pretty good to have. You can't have too many wingers. If you look at the Bruins, they're already struggling with that. Uh, so, so that's good to have depth there. Um, they also get Jack Johnson and Keith Kincaid as well. Um, in terms of subtractions, they don't have Henrik Lundqvist anymore. They don't have Mark Stahl, um, which were two centerpieces for their teams for like the past decade or so. Um, they also trade Leas Anderson to the Los Angeles Kings um, for a pick, which was, uh, I think it was um, Will Kulile. It's amazing. Yeah, that Will Kulile, yeah. Uh, that, uh, which we'll probably see him sometime later on in the... In the seasons year like years from now, um, if if he makes it, um, they also don't have Jesper Jesper Fast or Greg McKeg as well. Um, so yeah, the the Rangers are actually probably I would say are probably the most interesting team in the NHL, not just in the um, Eastern Division. Um, and I think a part of that is because yes, Alexis Lafreniere. Um, but also like just the fact that they're in New York, it's um, it's kind of like Broadway. It's the everyone wants to see the Rangers do well because when the Rangers are doing well, even if you hate them, um, it's just good for the league in general. So that's just nice to see if if that happens. Um, but I will say that I think. Um, and then also like you have guys like Panarin. Um, Zabinajad, um, who have both been like had breakout years this year. Although I guess Panarin has multiple breakout years, but you know he does it once um, in Chicago, and people were saying that like, oh, he can't do that when he's, you know, without Patrick Kane. That's that's making him so good. And then he goes to Columbus, and he kind of proves that he's he was their best player for two years uh, there. Um, and he was pretty good at doing that. And then he goes to uh, the Rangers this year. Um, and it was, you know, he kind of made them into a bubble team as well. So um, that was interesting here. But, um, but yeah, I think just, the f- and then you have all their defensemen as well. 
um, with Adam Fox, Tony D'Angelo, Jacob Truba, um, and then you also like add in their prospect defenseman in Niles Lundquist um, and Keandre Miller, uh, those two in particular. Um, so it's they have like a decent group of uh, lineups there. Although I will say that I think like their defense and their shutdown role is what kind of eventually led them out of the bubble was, you know, their defense wasn't as strong as it should be. Um, but that kind of takes me to my storyline here um, because I'm curious to see uh, two guys impacts and they're both rookies. Um, so one is Alexis Lafreniere. Um, Alexis Lafreniere was the best player in the CHL for two years straight. Um, and I'm curious to see how he does it um, this year um, in the NHL when he's going to be facing a lot of tough competition um, every night. Um, and it, it's, you know, it's not going to be easy for him as well. Um, and then the other guy is Shesterkin, and we saw a bit of him um, last year. Um, he was he went ten for two. He had a nine thirty two save percentage. Um, however, that's only like that's twelve games of NHL play, um, and he was a big reason why they even made it into that bubble because they otherwise they probably would have been one of those seven teams that didn't get to play, um, but. Um, I think it's interesting that once he did get to play, it kind of like, you know, the Rangers had a decision to make because he was good right away. Um, he didn't really have to, to play in Hartford, uh, the AHL team, that often. So um, I found that kind of interesting that, you know, Shesterkin's kind of been the big goaltender, and it seems like he's for real. But at the same time, he's only played 12 games a regular season Hockey, um, he played a he played one game in the postseason, but uh, he lost that game. So, yeah, I'm curious to know if like Shashirkins is for real, or if he's going to end up being like a uh, Andrew Raycroft type of person, where as like the more teams play on him, the more they figure him out and stuff like that. So, um, it might be a little bit of both, but. Um, yeah, I think Lafreniere and Shesterkins are probably like the two biggest, like most exciting rookies to watch out for. Um, there is a chance that both of them will be in the Calder nominations um, when all is said and done, but um, but there's also a chance that the Rangers will, um, you know, uh, like they they won't work out and these guys don't live up to their expectations. Um, and that's that's also certainly possible. So yeah, that's that's my storyline there. Um, I I think this is a common theme. I don't have the Rangers going into the playoffs because I I feel like their issues are more related to the defensive side of things. I don't think their defensemen are up to snuff. I do do think that like I do like Adam Fox and I do like Jacob Truba, um, and you know, the politics aside, uh, TDA does have, D Tony D'Angelo does have some, you know, he he is effective in some cases, but 
On the other hand, you you get Jack Johnson, um, and he's not like an, a complete upgrade over Mark Stahl, who hasn't been good in a long time. So, um, so like they they didn't really address that, and um, and yeah, Lafreniere and Shesterkin should help, but. I don't know if it's it's going to make them go into this playoffs and that will put them above the top four of, of this division. Yeah, um, I think actually Jack Johnson is a downgrade compared to Mark Stahl. Yeah, and that, that's that's also debatable too, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to argue that either. Yeah, I mean, outside of bringing in Lafreniere, which is a huge boost, and Jack Johnson and Kincaid, I guess, if one of Georgiev or Shesterkin is hurt slash get hit by COVID. Um, the only guys they really brought in are Anthony Greco, who basically replaces the speed of Jesper Fast and is probably one of those fringe NHLers that you put in in a pinch. They also right. bring in Anthony Boteto, Kevin Rooney, and Colin Blackwell. Again, guys you can put into your bottom six and can maybe do a few things for you. Um, but outside of buying out Henrik Lundqvist and trading Marcel, which was basically done for cap reasons and losing Jesper Fast, um, the only guys that really lost were Vinny Letary, Craig McKaig, and Leas Anderson because it, what, it didn't look strong that he was going to play there. So um, I, I don't think they really lost too, too much. In terms of like leadership, I guess they did with Stahl and Lundqvist. And I definitely think that could prove costly uh, later on. What I will say about the Rangers' defense is they brought in Jacques Martin, who came into the fold after Lindy Ruff uh, left the Rangers' coaching staff to be the head coach in New Jersey. Um, Jacques Martin, as many hockey fans know that have been paying attention to hockey for a while, he coached the Montreal Canadiens. Before that, he was the longtime coach of the Ottawa Senators and the first real successful coach that Ottawa had. And if there's one thing I know about Jacques Martin, he is a player's coach that is known for getting the most out of his group. And he was known for years for his ability to take young Ottawa Senators teams into places they never thought they'd reach. And this team, this Rangers team, despite the success they had last year, is still considered a rebuilding team that is very, very young. This team has Capocacco a challenging first season in the NHL. Yeah. They have Alexis Lafreniere entering his first NHL season. They have Vitaly Krasov, who has to still get used to this type of play yeah. at the highest level. They still have Philip Kiedel, who has potential, but hasn't reached his full stride. Same thing with Brett Howden. Yeah. And the tools that Jacques Martin brings to the table, I think are going to be very critical to the Rangers' success moving forward. And the good news is, on top of those young players, you have... A guy like Mika Zibanejad that can all of a sudden score like 30, 35, 40 goals now. You have Artemi Panarin that can set up a ton of goals and was named MVP in his first year with the team, or named a finalist for MVP. Some would argue he is the MVP of the NHL. Uh, Ryan Strom, who greatly benefited from being line mates with Panarin, one of those dark horse players that I think could do damage in a top six role. Um, and you still have guys like Pavel Buchnevich and Chris Kreider. And like you mentioned, the defensive depth they have with Adam Fox and Tony D'Angelo and Jacob Truba and Ryan Lindgren as well. And a lot of those players they have on the back end can quarterback this power play three-headed monster that they have going. You are right when you say that goaltending and defense are the question marks because 
Um, again, say what you will about Mark Stahl's defense, I would say a better player than Jack Johnson. Yeah. And this is a team that killed off 77.4% of its penalties. Again, with Mark Stahl, not Jack Johnson at the helm. So I don't know how much better it's going to be with Jack Johnson in, in terms of killing penalties, how much better the Rangers are going to be. Um, and now with the goaltending tandem, you don't have King, uh, King Henrik Lundqvist to go to to ask for advice if you're in a, a losing streak of some sort. And that's partly because Georgiev was getting results last year. Yep. Igor Shazjurkin, all it seemed... All it seemed that happened was Rangers win the game. Whenever yeah. he played, the Rangers seemed to win. He had a 10-2-0 record, faced at least 35 shots per start. His GAA was 2.52, but his save percentage was a sparkling 9.32, and he got no shutouts, and he still had a 9.32 save percentage. That's crazy. Similar to the Demko run, I don't think it's sustainable, but I think Igor Shazirkin is the real deal. I think Alex Georgiev is a very good goalie. But if you put that many pucks at them, eventually you're going to see signs of wear and tear, and luck is going to run out on the Rangers. And yeah. they met their maker in Carolina. They got swept in the first round, which again led to them getting Lafreniere, so I guess it's not a bad thing. But it just goes to show you that even a team with Artemi Panarin and Igor Shazirkin on it can be beatable if you get the right matchup for them. And Carolina exposed the Rangers enough because the Rangers couldn't solve Hurricanes and penetrable defense. So I think for the Rangers, team defense and goaltending are the big things to work on, yes. But I think team defense is more the concern than it is the goaltending because I think if you put a good, capable, team-first defense approach in front of Igor Shazirkin and Alex Georgiev, the Rangers are going to be a very scary team to go up against. Yep. Scary to the point where they could win the division. But until that happens, they might fight for a playoff spot. Other than that, I don't expect much from them this year. It's going to be another year of learning, which is good for this group. But unless they really take it that next step with the team defense, they're still in some areas a very vulnerable team. Yeah, I think this is, like, I feel like they're... Like, there's, they're not really a rebuilding team anymore, and they're also not really a competing team anymore. They're kind of in the middle of everything. So I think that's okay for now because, you know, this is going to be their first year with Lafreniere and this new group of kids. Uh, but, um, but I think, like, if this continues for a while, then this will be something of concern where they'll have to address it. But... Uh, for now, I think it's just like, let's see what you have out of Lafreniere. Let's see what you have out of Kako. Let's see what you have out of Kraftsoff um, and like all the like, Heedle and all that stuff. So um, I think I think it's just like, oh, you just wait for them to, um, to kind of flourish because they all have potential and they're likely going to meet it. But, um, but I, I don't think it's going to be this year where we get to see what they're truly all capable of. This 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 is the start of like a big movement in the in New York there. So that's why I find it fascinating. Um, and they're the most interesting team. Um okay, let's go to the next team here. I feel like we should pick up the speed here. So um the next team here is a team that didn't really do much in the offseason. Um 
is Philadelphia. They get uh, Eric Gustafson. Um, kind of an underrated move because I kind of forgot about that um, when I was looking at, you know, prep for this episode here. But uh, they lose. They don't have Matt Niskanen, who just retired. They don't have Derek Grant and Tyler Pitlick are the other ones that they don't have. But um, yeah, Philadelphia was, you know, also, uh, you know, they made it to the semifinals. Um, they had, you know, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that Sean Couturier was injured, but if he was healthy, they may have made it to the conference finals. Um, and I think also there was a factor of like Carter Hart was unstoppable in the playoffs. Um, and he really got going towards the second half of the season, but I think we'll, we'll actually see what he, he actually gets to do this year. But, um, but this isn't my storyline. Uh, what, what's your storyline, Steve? Well, the good news for Philly, as Brett mentioned, they didn't really part ways with too many pieces. Yep. Um, they kept Brian Elliott in the fold, who Carter Hart had sounded like was a good mentor too, and Carter Hart wanted back. So they kept Brian Elliott for another season, which is good. Um, they uh, signed uh, a lot of their RFAs to short-term deals. Uh, Nolan Patrick, who has been injury prone um, the past couple of years, uh, accepted his qualifying offer, so he's back for another year. Nico Bay Kubel got a bridge year yeah. uh, contract, so did uh, Philip Myers. Um, again, like you mentioned, other than the retirement of Niskanen and the loss of Tyler Pitlick, Derek Grant, and Nate Thompson, who is now a Winnipeg Jet, I believe. Um, I think out of that bunch, the toughest pill to swallow is probably gonna be Niskanen. Um, because say what you will about his performance and the fact that he's into his mid-30s now. Apparently, he played a key role for top-pairing defenseman Ivan Provorov. He was a great influence for him. So now the question becomes, what can the Russian blue liner do without Niskanen in the fold, without his presence? If, if Provorov is able to have a couple of great seasons without Niskanen, it won't be a major issue at all. But if for whatever reason, bad habits start to creep in and he doesn't have a good year, that's where I think the absence of Niskanen could hurt. That being said, Eric Gustafson enters the fold as another source of power play yeah. offense, so that's great. You know, someone like Derek Gouliot to plug in if you're in a defensive pinch, if COVID is going through your defensive core, you can always plug him in. Uh, but they didn't really add much outside of Gustafson and Derek Gouliot. And I think largely it's because they didn't have to, because they still have Sean Couturier, who won the Selkie. They have Jacob Voracek. They have Claude Drew, uh, their captain, who can still put up points. Travis Konechny had a great season. Um, Scott Lawton had a pretty decent year. Nico Bay-Kubel, as I mentioned, was good. I think when Nolan Patrick comes back, he'll be good, too. And Kevin Hayes, considering his contract, he did his part. He, He had a good year. Um, I think out of the veteran forwards that they had that I would like to see more from, it would be James Van Riemsdyk is the main guy that sticks out. Again, injured for most of last year, or a good chunk anyway of last year. Um, so that much isn't his fault. But when he did play, not the kind of guy we're used to seeing. So I think if if he's able to elevate his game, especially given the amount of money that they're paying him, he kind of has to. But if he can elevate his game, uh, back to where it was, that would be great for the Flyers. Um, in terms of Carter Hart, the only concern is playing lights out hockey on the road, not just on home ice. Um, but besides that, I think the tandem 
in goal is good enough for Philadelphia to contend for the division uh, because they can beat you shorthanded. They can beat you on the power play. They can beat you five on five in any situation. This team is pretty deadly. Um, I think what can really put the Flyers over the top, and this would be the storyline for me uh, to watch, is what Philip Myers can do. As I mentioned, he got a decent bridge deal to stay with the Flyers. His offensive progress, I think, could make the team better or worse in the in the upcoming season because you already have Provorov, you have Gustafson, you have Shane Gostas Bear, however long he's here for you, have Travis Sandheim. A lot of those guys can do damage with the puck, and Myers can do that with whatever offensive flair that he provides. And all of a sudden, if he can do that, you've got like four to five different defensemen that can rack up points. And at that point, your offense becomes tougher to contain. And then all of a sudden, you have what it takes to maybe be the best team in the league. So I definitely like what the Flyers are capable of. And I'm interested to see what they can do. I don't think they have to do a whole lot to really improve their team. Yeah. I think if individually, if every player brings it, they'll be fine. Yeah, I'll be curious. I, I agree with you. I, I, they didn't do much, but I don't think they needed to because I think they're pretty strong as is. So um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they do it. Um, the other thing, um, I'm curious to know how they're going to handle uh, Ghost Despair. Um, and his, uh, cause it seemed like he has been in the doghouse for a lane video, but I wonder if they like trade him or just wait for Seattle to pick him up. Um, but it, it, like, you know, he had like 50 points, uh, two seasons ago. That's just not like, it, it seems kind of crazy that he, he's not good anymore. So, um, and also, uh, we should mentioned that Oscar Lindbaum, um, who recovered from cancer, he's going to be back in the fold as well. So that's going to be a, a fun story to, to watch along. Um, so let's go to the next team here, which is Pittsburgh. Um, they made a couple of moves here. Uh, they had, they added, uh, Hasbury Kapanen, um, through a trade, which we'll get into in a second. Um, they also, uh, added Michael Matheson, um, and Cody Cece, and they also get, uh, Colton Sevier. Um, but they subtract Matt Murray. They don't have, uh, Patrick Hornquist or Jack Johnson either, which, um, I think Jack Johnson, losing Jack Johnson is an upgrade for them. Um, they don't have Nick Bukestad, Connor Sheary, Dominic Simone, or Justin Schultz, um, either, so... That's quite a lot of people. Um, however, um, so they they do lose a lot of players, but at the same time they you know they get Jake Gensel back because um, he was gone for the year, um, and that's that's certainly going to help them. Um, and you know he can't really like they're always going to be a contender when you have Crosby and Malkin in the fold, um, and also as we mentioned, I think. We mentioned early on in this program that John Marino signs this long-term deal, um, which we'll get into maybe next week. Um, so, so that should help them out whenever Chris Letang is injured as well. So, um, and but he was he was a big surprise last season for for the NHL in general. 
Um, so, so that was helpful too. Um, my storyline here is, um, is Tristan Jari going to be the guy? Um, see, last year, what happened was Matt Murray, he goes, um, you know, he, he isn't as good as he once was. He has like an 899 save percentage. I'm in a GA of 2.87, which is pretty bad. But then uh, you add in a guy like Tristan Jari, um, who has a 2.43 GAA um, and a save percentage of 921 in 33 games. Um, but like I remember that towards the end of the year, he wasn't as good as he was before. Um, and I think part of it was also due to the fact that like, um, you know, he was sharing the crease with Matt Murray, but this time what's different is Matt Murray's in Ottawa and Tristan Jari's in net and he's going to be the goaltender here. Um, so I'm curious to see what happens when he is given more of the starting role. I don't think the Penguins added a goaltender that, um, if I remember correctly, maybe you can help me out here, Steve. Did the Well, they, they, they did add a goaltender. They added Max Legacy, Legas, okay. or Legacy. I'm not sure. I'm not 100% Max sure how you pronounce his last name. He was in Vegas before that. Okay. And last year he spent uh, in AHL Providence, the Bruins affiliate. Yeah. So they bring him in as AHL def, and I believe the plan is Casey DeSmith. Right who has had NHL experience before is going to be Tristan Jerry's backup. Right, right. Yeah, so I, I just looked at Cap Friendly. They have Casey DeSmith as going to be the backup yeah. there. so he should be yeah. the backup on, unless they do something. But, yeah, if I remember correctly, Casey DeSmith didn't even play at all last year. Um, I no, think, but, but yeah. the year before he, he came he did play, over yeah. he was on decent. the minors instead of Tristan Jerry. Right, right, that's right. Um, and play decent. So. Yeah, he, he played decent last year. If, yeah, the year before that. Yeah, he had a 916 save percentage and a GAA of 2.75. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's going to be interesting, especially this year when there's going to be a lot of back-to-backs where goalies aren't going to be playing. Like, I feel like there's we're going to see a lot of, like, 1A, 1B situations or, you know, the starting goaltender is going to play maybe a little bit more than the other goalie, uh, but not too much more. Um, so, I mean, maybe that will help Tristan Jari because, you know, maybe let's say he plays 30 games and you give DeSmith ten, uh, 20 games. Um, that could be a, something that happens or something like that. But um, I feel like in a shortened season, um, it will be interesting to see if Tristan Jari can manage that load uh for long periods of time um without like a quality backup in the background and you know maybe casey DeSmith will be the guy but we'll see yeah that's this this is the interesting thing with pittsburgh because philly didn't really have to do much to improve their roster the penguins did a lot to shake things up um they did it with their team and they did it behind the scenes too um, just to just to give you an example, of what they did behind the scenes, assistant GM Jason Carmanos no longer the assistant GM; he is out. Uh, Sergey Gonchar, assistant coach, gone. Mark Recchi, assistant coach, gone. Jacques Martin now with the Rangers, gone because the Penguins turfed 
him as well as the other two. And entering the fold with Mike Sullivan still at the helm calling the shots behind the bench are Todd Reardon, we'll talk to him in a little, about him in a little bit, and Mike Vellucci, who was with um, the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins uh, last year, um, was in the AHL a few years before that, and also coached in the major junior ranks uh, in the OHL. Um, so they're joining the fold uh, with those three guys leaving. And this is a team that has both old and new talent, uh, young and old players. So um, I think guys like Reardon and Bellucci, who probably know how to work with uh, younger players, um, are probably pretty good fits um, for those guys. And like you mentioned, Tristan Jerry being the new, not so new kid on the block, is the new number one goaltender, at least for now, yeah. uh, signing a three-year deal to be uh, that guy with Pittsburgh. And then you, we, you talk about their defense and what it looks like. There's uh, John Marino and Marcus Peterson, who in the past couple of years have made huge contributions as defensive pieces and now getting significant contract extensions. Um, they bought out Jack Johnson, feeling that they had what, what they needed on defense. They didn't keep Justin Schultz in the fold for that reason. And then you bring in Cody Cece on a cheap one-year deal to add a bit of offense, not so much defense. You give that part of the gig to Mike Matheson, who you acquire in a trade with Florida. You also get Colton Sevier to add bottom six depth in a Mike Matheson trade. Uh, but in the process, you lose Dominic Simon to free agency, Connor Sheary to free agency, Patrick Hornquist and Nick Bukestad are dealt to Florida and Minnesota, respectively. And sure, you bring in Casper Kapanen to help out the top six that already has guys like Malkin and Crosby and Gensel and Jason Zucker and Brian Rust. And maybe if Aston Reese elevates his game too, he could be yeah. thrown in that mix. And you also have Jankowski and Freddie Goudreau to add more pop to the bottom six. But at the end of the day, your prospect pool is not looking too good. No. And the two promising prospects that you had were Philip Hallander and Kalen Assen, and both have been traded. Yeah. So you're, you're kind of in the spot of where your window to win is right now. You're not really looking at the future. You're trying to extend your window to win. Yeah. And my question going in is how much better are the Pittsburgh Penguins today? Honestly, like they they might have what it takes to battle for a playoff spot. But is this team just as good as they were last year? Or better than last year? Because like their offense has the potential to be dominant. Yeah. And their defense might be decent and their goaltending might be able to get the job done. But the team that looked like that last year didn't show up against the weakest playoff team in a play-in series, didn't even make it to five games. They got beat out in four. Right. So how are you supposed to do anything in this division when five strong teams are contending for a division title and perhaps one of them misses the postseason? I just don't see how much better Pittsburgh is despite what they've done. Yeah, I feel like... I don't know. I'm, I'm a big fan of Casper Kapanen. Of what I, whenever he plays the Bruins, he always has a great game. So, maybe I and I know like I think in other games, maybe he doesn't play as well. So, maybe I'm a little bit biased in that. That I think it could help them a lot. And you know, we also forget the fact that you know the the Penguins added just Jason Zucker at the trade deadline this year or, or last season. 
um, so that you know we haven't seen him in full with like a, a healthy you know with the centers with Crosby and Malkin and I think it's just hard to really um, count them out in any case when you have guys like Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin even if they are 33 and 34 years old um, it's still like there are generational talents and it's something that um, we won't see in a, in a long time and it's you know they're the penguins are lucky that they got both of them playing at the same time um, so so yeah there's that um, also I think like another key difference is that they're getting Jake Gensel back um, and if you remember when Jake Gensel just before Jake Gensel got injured Sidney Crosby was injured and Jake Gensel was like pretty good even without Crosby or even without Crosby and I don't even think he was playing with Malkin either so um, so that could be pretty good for uh, them as well is that they kind of have three really good forwards and you know you have like you know you have potential with guys like Jason Zucker, Brian Rust, and Casper Kapanen um, and that's decent enough but yeah I agree it's they're not as intimidating as they once were um like maybe five years ago so we'll see yeah but. i guess i guess to your argument as well like even when they had all of those guys back and healthy like yeah. it was a short play in series with montreal where if you were off your game for like one night you were in trouble of course yeah and like you haven't played hockey like three to four months before that i guess it's really tough to evaluate oh well they were healthy for yeah. you know the playing series with montreal and they didn't do much of anything well yeah <laughs> that's a short amount of time to like really make sure you're ready to go against Montreal. And if you take one false step, you're done. Yep. So I, I think, I, I think in terms of what, in terms of the, about uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins too, um, I, I think if they do stay healthy, that does impact things. But even if they do get a playoff spot, I don't, I don't even know where they go beyond that. Like, how because they're still probably going to be going up against the cream of the crop in this division right and that's not going to be an easy task if they get the wrong matchups so i think if 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 everything falls into place for pittsburgh they could do something big this year um but it's going to take a lot they have a good team but it's going to take a lot all right let's go to washington here um the interesting thing about washington um is all their additions are or Four of their additions um, were our players from teams in their division. Um, so it's it's kind of funny. I, I, I mean, it's unintentional, I guess, for some of it. But um, Two of which are from the Penguins. Yeah, the two of which are from the Penguins. Yeah, so Henrik Lundqvist, um, who looks like he's going to be an LTIR. He's going to be strange if, if he ever does play for Washington. It's going to be strange seeing him in a Washington Capitals uniform. Same goes for Zdeni Chara. Um, it's going to be weird seeing him in a Washington Capitals uniform. I know Chara played for the Senators and the Islanders, but I'll always see him as a Bruins uh, player. So it's going to be weird seeing him in a Capitals uniform. Um, so same goes for Hank. Uh, Connor Sherry and Justin Schultz are also in Washington. I didn't even realize that Justin Schultz went to Washington. I feel like that was like a uh, like a move that was swept under the rug. Um, and then uh, Craig Anderson, 
uh, has a PTO for Washington. And I think that's probably in part because uh, we're unclear about what uh, Lundquist's health is going to be like. So, um, so that's what, probably why they added Craig Anderson there. Um, so in terms of subtractions, uh, we have uh, Braden Holpe, who's gone, and Radko Gudis is also not there anymore either. Um, those are the key ones there. Washington, kind of, they, they didn't really do so well in the bubble. Um, they kind of were lackluster there. Um, but, I mean, they still won the division in the Metro, but they weren't um, as dominant as we thought they would be um, come the postseason. Um, but, yeah, so what is your storyline for the Capitals? Honestly, I think the storyline, um, well, it's going to determine on, on one thing that I'll get to, but I think what happened with the Capitals is they didn't have – enough level of focus going into um, their divisional uh, round-robin play and um, their first-round series with the Islanders. I don't think this team was in the right frame of mind for the 2020 playoffs. They would be prone to losing streaks that would come out of nowhere, and I think before the pandemic hit, they were on one of those. I think, ultimately, the decision to part ways with Todd Reardon after two seasons and go with a no-guff coach like Peter Laviolette that could motivate his players, I think that in time will turn out to be the right move. Um, you look at Laviolette's resume, he's made it to the conference finals with different rosters and in different markets. He's taken three different teams to the Stanley Cup finals. He's been victorious in one of those. And every time he's done it, it only took him a couple of years at least uh, to make it happen. And I think guys like Evgeny Kuznetsov, guys like TJ Oshie, who could have performed better, I think will benefit from this coaching change. At the end of the day, Tom Wilson is still Tom Wilson, but a very useful player with top six potential. And you also have Jacob Verena, who I think is going to have an even better year for them than he did the year ago. Uh, someone yeah. like Connor Sheary uh, on that cheap of a deal uh, could add a lot of terrific value as a top six forward. If he's put with the right pieces, he could be a fantastic player for them. And then you have the additions to their back end, where I think you have a lot of motivated players like Justin Schultz, the way it ended in Pittsburgh. Um, I would say it's an offensive upgrade when the subtraction is Racco Gudis. Uh, and you're wondering who, well, who's going to bring the defensive grit? Well, you've got a guy that was a captain for 14 years in Boston mm -hmm. that's motivated to win another title that feels even at 43, he has something to prove you add him to an already strong leadership group with Ovechkin and Backstrom. And yeah, you don't have Lundqvist due to a heart condition, but a motivated Craig Anderson who has a lot to play for has done a lot on some weaker Ottawa teams over the past couple of years. And even when the Sens were average, he made average teams better. I think behind Ilya Samsonov, he could be a very solid plan B. And if not him, then maybe Vitek Vanacek could be um, that that respectable backup. And you also have guys like Daniel Carr and Trevor Van Riemsdyk that you can plug in if you're in a pinch. Um, so I like their odds of winning the division a lot. I think the main storyline is how they utilize the goalies. Um, like you mentioned with Pittsburgh, um, I think... 
Craig Anderson would obviously be the ideal backup as opposed to Vanacek. Um, and I expect the backup is going to see at least 15 to 20 games of NHL duty because I would like to see Sansonov emerge as a starter. I think he has what it takes to do it. Yep. But this division is very, very tough, and history has proven that you're playing with fire if you overwork your number one goalie's minutes. And I think you need Samsonov ready for the playoffs, and a good backup is essential to that. So um, similar to teams like the Maple Leafs, backup's going to have to come up big when called upon. Yeah, they they definitely have an interesting team. I guess they tried to get like pretty much every 40-year-old <laughs> to to play, so we'll see how that works for them. I am curious to see how they handle without having Braden Holtby. I guess I'm always skeptical. I guess this the same would apply for the Rangers and the Islanders too, but I'm always skeptical of how like rookie goaltenders are going to do their first time out because um, I just, like, as good as they were in the KHL, you never really know... Um, how they're going to do in the NHL because it's just um, a different league and all that stuff. So um, I feel like there's a chance that, you know, one of those three goalies is going to falter, but um, we'll see how they, they handle that. And I feel like Washington also didn't really, I mean, I guess they were planning on having Lundqvist be the backup for Samsonov in case things go awry, but um, I, I don't know, I guess we'll see how it goes, but now it doesn't seem like they're even doing that. So, um, maybe Craig Anderson can help, who knows, but, um, I guess they better hope that Samsonov helps, um, in the long run. Um, so for the top four here, who do we, who do you have as the top four? I was, I was struggling with this one. <laughs> So was I. Yeah. Um, I think similar to last year, Washington and Philly will be fighting out for the division title. I think this time the Flyers are going to edge out the Caps by a few points. Um, I still think Washington is a solid number two seed. Um, you might not agree with this. I think the Islanders go number three. Mm -hmm. I, I think they're going to surprise people again. And that leaves us with the three-team joust for fourth. That three-team joust involves the Bruins, Rangers, and Penguins. Um, I'm going Rangers. Yeah. I, I have right. a funny feeling the Rangers are going to do something this year. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, I have Philly, Washington, like you. Um, this is where I kind of differ because I think Pittsburgh um, is better than we you gave them credit for. So I have them third. Um, I'm also not really so much convinced on... Um, the Islanders so far yet, but I had a similar thing where it was like either the Bruins, the Rangers, or the Islanders for the four spot. Um, so I, I, it's it would be impossible for me to not pick the Bruins there as the fourth spot. So, um, that would be my list. So it's Philly, Washington, Pittsburgh, and then Boston. Um, but yeah, I, I think the fun, I think the final race for fourth is going to come down yep. to just like a four or five point spread. Like exactly. it's going to be insanely close and really tough to predict. Honestly, like yep. Boston Rangers or Pens for me, it wouldn't shock me if either was, uh, the number four seed, but 
uh, yeah, I, I could be wrong, but I just think the Rangers with Lafreniere and Panarin and all that talent, and if the goalies continue to perform, it, it, it might be enough just to get that four spot. Yeah, but I mean, I it'll be, it'll be a dog fight to the end for that. Four I spot. think if we if like if these divisions remain for like another year, then I think the Rangers will probably make the playoffs. But I don't think they're going to do it this year. Um, and like, and the same thing for like New Jersey and Buffalo. I feel like they're very, very close to the playoffs. I wouldn't, to the point where I wouldn't even be surprised if the Rangers, Devils, or Sabers make the playoffs. But um, yeah, I feel like this is the hardest division because like all eight teams are like all have promise and all have been pretty good. So it's it's going to be tough um, for any of those teams um, in the long run. So uh, let's go to the Central Division. Let's. I, I have a feeling we're going to go over two hours because we're at hour 35 right yeah, now. Yeah, probably. But so, uh, similar to like the Canadian Division, I feel like this one yeah. was also a pretty tough we'll try, track. Yeah, this yeah. one should be a bit easier to go through. Uh, sure. Yeah, I, we'll try to go with this one quick but still spending enough time on it. But uh, So the first team we have here is Carolina. Um, this is the Central Division, by the way. Um, so Carolina we have here. Uh, yeah, they were 38-25-5 um, they were, uh, in the regular season, um, and they were fourth in the Metropolitan Division. Uh, they they made some decent moves this year. Uh, they added just for fast. Um, they also get in uh, Jeremy Bracco. Um, they don't have uh, Joel Edmondson. Justin Williams retired, and they don't have uh, Ta- Trevor Van Sykes as well. Um, and you know the thing that was interesting with Carolina is they had a dynamite first line with. Sebastian Ajo, Tavo Teravainen, and Andrei Svechnikov. Um, their, their second and third line isn't great, but it's not terrible either. Um, and they also have like Dougie Hamilton, who missed half the season, uh, but when he was playing, he had like 40 points in 47 games. So he probably, you know, if he kept that pace, he probably would have been, uh, he probably would have won the Norris, um, but he didn't. Um, so maybe assuming he's healthy, we'll, we'll see. Um, but, um, which is, it's pretty funny because when you look at their, the points here is that Dougie Hamilton had 40 points, um, in 47 games, but the next closest in points was Jacob Slavin for defenseman I'm talking about. And he had 36 points in 68 games. So he didn't even pass the 40-point mark that Dougie Hamilton had before he got injured, um, which is kind of funny. Um, but having said all that, they do have some good players, and you know Martin Nikash is also in the system, and uh, he should be good too. Um, they also had uh, Vincent Trocek, um, who should have some bounce-back um, potential there. But I think the reason why Carolina went out in the bubble was their goaltending. Um, Peter, and that's going to be my storyline here, uh, Peter Mrazek, he, um, you know, he was decent. Um, he had a 9.05 save percentage and a 
GAA, and you also have James Reimer as well, um, who had a 914 save percentage and a 2.66 GAA, um, which is, both are decent numbers, but not something that, like, if for, like, true contenders, that's not something that's great for for the team. I guess the good news is that they also have, like, Alex Ndelkovic, um, although he hasn't been as impressive when he's been in the NHL, so uh, we'll see how that goes, but... Um, yeah, I think the biggest concern is their goaltending because they have the forwards, they have the defense, just the the goaltending is something that will probably be their Achilles heel. Um, I think they will make the playoffs, but when they make the playoffs, the goaltending will probably be their, um, their downfall. Yeah, um, so I'll get back to their goaltending in a second because the good news with the Hurricanes is that last year I feel like Sveshnikov and Aho both evolved into not only top 50 players, but I think someone that at some point in their careers could win the Rock, could win the Rocker Richard Trophy. Yep. Like their their goal scoring potential is enormous, and I I think with a playmaker like Tarabainen, um that top line could just be deadly. And um, with with the amount of depth that they have at defense, they could turn that into another top six for Patrick Lennon, um, which if they do that, then, hey, like you're, you're freaking rolling at that point. And then on top of that, you have underrated guys, like you mentioned, Martin Nakash. Um, you have Nino Niederreiter, who at times has been brilliant with Carolina. Vincent Trocek had some good years in Florida. And sure, they might miss Justin Williams due to retirement and the leadership that he brings. They still have Jordan Stahl. They still have Jordan Martinuk, a guy that does the little things right in Warren Fogle, too. Uh, Jeremy Bracco could add some pop if he finally makes an NHL roster. The speed of Jesper Fass adds another dimension to their offense and fits in great with an offense that loves to overwhelm defenses. And that's how they generate turnovers, by playing a very fast-paced game. And you also have Ryan DeSingle, who I think has a lot to prove following last year's subpar campaign. Um, there's no team in the league that intimidates Carolina. I think they got their wake-up call after the loss to Boston, and I think they're going to learn a lot from that as a group. Like, if you look at their defense, the biggest losses they had were Joel Edmondson, as you mentioned, Trevor Van Riemsdyk. If Sammy Vatnan doesn't resign, I guess you count him. But at the end of the day, Dougie Hamilton was close to a point-per-game player, only yep. played half the season. Brett Pesce, Jake Gardner, Brady Shea, Jacob Slavin. Like, that that defensive group looks deadly, and that doesn't include Jake Bean as well that's waiting in the wings. Um, so I think in terms of the storyline you mentioned about their goaltending, I think they're in a similar position with Colorado where – can this goaltending tandem do the job? Yes, they can put up good numbers with this team. But if you want to take that extra step, think big, swing for the fences, and trade for a proven number one goaltender, I think the time to do that is now. Because if you look at their free agency situation, how the cap works after this year, Dougie Hamilton is a free agent. Andre Sveshnikov is going to be making significant dollars after this year. Why would you waste such a glorious opportunity like this? Like, this could be your big year to win it all. If you think you have a chance to win the Stanley Cup this year, 
go ahead and make a big splash. Whether it's for a top six forward or a legit number one goaltender, go the extra mile and see what you can do this year. Because I think this year is, if they want to win with this group, uh, with the cap the way it is, I'm sure they have chances to win down the road, but I think this is the best chance that they've gotten in the last decade to win it all. So I would make the most of it. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they handle that situation. But I, I still have them in my in the playoffs, as we'll, as we'll see eventually. Um, all right, let's go to Chicago here. Um, they kind of made a questionable trade uh, by trading Brandon Saad for Nikita Zadorov um, and a couple of other players, too. Um they also added uh, Matthias Janmark. They added Carl Soderberg. They have uh, Brandon Puri. They also get this like Norwegian guy, P- Pius Suter. Um, so I, I guess he was pretty good in the Swiss League. So um, so yeah, we'll see how that goes. Um, they don't have Brandon Saad, as I mentioned. They don't have Corey Crawford, if you listen to the, <laughs> the beginning of this podcast. Um, they don't have... Uh, Uli Mata, who's out in L.A., Dylan Sakura and Drake Kajula are also not on the team anymore. Um, and then also on top of everything, they don't... Um, Kirby Dock and Jonathan Taze, looks like, are both injured. Kirby Dock's definitely out for the year. It's unclear about when Jonathan Taze could be back. But it's definitely possible um, that we'll see him eventually and also we did a whole episode about the Chicago Blackhawks rebuilding and they officially mentioned that so yeah take this is going to be a year where they don't they won't make the playoffs but um and they're just going to be focusing on uh what they have in their young guys um and especially in goal because they don't really have a goaltender at the moment um they do have Malcolm Subban and they do have Colin Delia but who knows with those guys so, uh, what is your storyline for the Chicago Blackhawks? The thing that interests me about the Chicago Blackhawks is that in a very mighty central division that had teams like Dallas that went to the finals, that had teams like St. Louis that previously won the championship, um, and Colorado and Winnipeg and Nashville, and even a Minnesota team that was pretty respectable, they still had 72 points, finished 32, 30, and 8, weren't dead last. And their goal differential is only minus six. They they gave up 214 goals, which is around the neighborhood, I guess, of, I don't know, like the Sens and the Devils and, and teams like that. And they scored 208 goals, but that's because even though Alex DeBrinkett didn't have the best year, Patrick Kane was still Patrick Kane, and Jonathan Taze was good, and Dominic Kubelik scored 30 goals. So they still had a pretty respectable offense, even though their power play was just a shed over 15% successful. They could still score goals because Patrick Kane was a beast. And then everyone's wondering, well, how was their penalty kill so good? Like, they were 82.1% successful for a team that barely made the playoffs, and that's because Robin Leonard and Corey Crawford were their goalies. And neither of them are on the Hawks this year. Uh, Like you mentioned, they have Kevin Lankinen, Colin Delia and Malcolm Subban. So I would expect their defensive holes are really going to show this year. I think they were very present uh, last year, 
but like in terms of like the statistics i definitely think we're we're gonna see um the impact of not having someone like uh, robin leonard and Corey crawford to bail you out like every third breakaway um I don't think this team's expected to make any big splashes, Brett, like you said, and we've delved uh, into it uh, in a previous episode. Uh, they did add Kendall Coyne Schofield to their player development staff. They did the same with Eric Condra, a former Ottawa Senator. But make no mistake about it, this is a rebuilding team. Stan Bowman, the GM, admitted it. The ownership of the franchise admitted it. Yeah. No one expects them to do much of anything. Um, and, in fact, I'll take it one step further. Alex Dabrinkit could have 40 goals again, this time in a shortened season. Dylan Strome could be a point-per-game player this season and play every single game. Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane could be Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane, typical heroic year, ho-hum. And the deaf guys could pull their weight. Even if all that happens without Kirby Dock on the ice, they still won't be a top-four team because their defense and goaltending is that suspect. They can hang with the competition, sure, but I don't think they can defeat them and emerge as a legit top four team with this lineup because of, again, those two areas that I just mentioned. I think the big storyline for this team is figure out the future of their defensemen. And we've mentioned on the show before, Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook, as good as they were, they're aging very quickly. They're not getting any younger. They're getting older and they need to find their replacements. And the two names that, come to a lot of people's minds are Ian Mitchell and Adam Bjorkfist, yep. who have a lot of potential. I give them every chance to learn and develop this year, give them the minutes, let them make mistakes, but show them the way. Have the veteran defenders help them turn into those future monsters, the future Duncan Keith, the future Brent Seabrook. That is what Chicago needs. They can get a good free agent goalie later on. They have Camesso in the mix after drafting him in 2020. We mentioned the trio of guys they already have that could make their case to remain on the roster beyond this year, but the young defensemen have to mature over the next few years in order for this team to turn the corner and turn things around. Because nothing this team does will matter if the defense sucks. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I don't think, well, they're up to snuff, even if everything turns out right for them. Because they don't really have, I mean... Malcolm Subban could be okay. I I am glad that he's getting his chance finally, but um, I don't think we're expecting too much out of him um, this year. So we'll see. I think it's it'll be interesting to see how Ian Mitchell does and how Adam Bockfist does. Um, but yeah, it's, you can't really expect too much out of this team. Um, all right, let's go to the Columbus Blue Jackets here. This is our next team. Um, they add uh, Miko Koivu. They get Max Domi in the Josh Anderson trade. They also get uh, Mikhail Grigorenko, who's returning to the NHL, so that's kind of exciting. Uh, they don't have Josh Anderson, um, as I mentioned. They don't have Alexander Wenberg, and they don't have Ryan Murray. Um, I think like a lot of the big offseason was last year when they uh, basically traded all their players and or they didn't have Panarin well they got rid of all their players for nothing and they don't even have any picks left so that's the weird part about it but whatever um recently um which will go to my I guess I should mention a little bit more about the team before I go to the storyline um 
you know, the, the team this year actually kind of surprised, even when they didn't have um, Artemi Panarin, they didn't have Sergei Bobrovsky, um, and uh, they didn't have Matt Duchesne, even though Duchesne was only on the team for a little while. But they still were decent enough without him. Um, you know, they were sixth in the Metropolitan. They did make it into the playoff bubble, um, but they ultimately were they didn't get enough in otherwise. Um, it seemed like Elvis Merzilkins <clears throat> was uh, was the guy uh, during the time when um, he was healthy. Um, he had a 9.23 save percentage and a 2.35 GAA, and he went 13.9 and 8, um, which isn't bad. Um, and then you also have someone like uh, Jonas Corposalo, who had a 9.11 save percentage and 2.6 GAA, um, and he went 19.12 and 5. Uh, both are better than Sergei Bobrovsky, so, uh, so they, they kind of unintentionally had an upgrade there. The problem is, is that they kind of missed uh, Artemi Panarin because the highest score for the Blue Jackets is uh, was 49 points, and that's Pierre-Luc Dubois. Um, of course, the Blue Jackets also have uh, Seth Jones, and um, they have <clears throat> uh, Zach Wierenski. Uh Seth Jones was injured for half the year as well. Um, but that's going to be part of my... Um, my uh, storyline, and I think we'll probably talk about it a little bit next week, but Pierre-Luc Dubois signs um, a contract this uh, this week. Uh, it's a two-year deal, $5 million per, but before he did, um, there was rumors about that Pierre-Luc Dubois might, uh, might want to be traded, um, and to the point where Tortorella was even asked, and he said that they're going to treat... Dubois the same way as they treated Panarin and Bobrovsky. They're just going to take it day by day and hope that they keep him, but it's not guaranteed. Uh, Luke Dubois kind of has, hasn't denied it that he wants out, but he also hasn't expressed that he wants to stay in Columbus. Um, so that's going to be kind of interesting. Um, and at the same time, uh, Columbus on 2022 2023. Columbus has a lot of free agents that are going to be available, um, and they're not going to be able to sign them all, and that's basically their their entire core. Uh, they have Max Domi, of course, he hasn't played a game yet for Columbus, but um, he'll, he's still a part of their core because they got him. Um, Pierre-Luc Dubois, as I mentioned, Boone Jenner is also a UFA, Eric Robinson, Nathan Gerby, Seth Jones is the big one, um, as well as Zach Wierenski is an RFA, so that's manageable. Um, and then you also have Elvis Merzilkins and Jonas Corposalo as UFAs as well. So that's, <clears throat> that's basically their top two centers, their top two defensemen, and, their top, and they're both their goalies are all UFAs in two years. Um, but I, I have this as a storyline as more well, of just... Dubois and, the good news for Dubois and Wierenski is yeah. they both are fakes. The bad news is one of them probably wants to get traded. Yeah. So basically, Wierenski is, is, your, is yeah. your 
is your best option to like not walk away. Right. right. And so, you need more than Morwenski to contend. So right, right. The, the point still remains. They're in a tough spot in two yeah. years. Yeah. And anyways, my storyline more just because that's. I mean, I guess that's a future Yarmo Kekalainen problem, but I think. You know, just because there are there already is speculation that Dubois is going to be traded, even with this contract, it's it's going to be a distraction. Even though both of them have said, and even Tortorella has said that it's not a distraction, uh, Dubois has said it's not going to be a distraction. But it's definitely going to be a distraction in the same way that it is with Patrick Line. So I think I'm curious to see how how that story transfolds. Is that will you know maybe you know just because they sign him doesn't necessarily mean that they're not going to trade him right away or you know trade him during the deadline or something like that. Um, like let's say you know the Blue Jackets are out of it um, by the trade deadline, then maybe they will trade Dubois and get a lot of pieces back and um, figure it out. But it's it is kind of funny that you would think they would learn with the. Bobrovsky and Panarin situation to not have all the all your key UFAs at the same year, but it's gonna happen again. Um, so, so that's gonna be funny. Um, but having said all that, I am curious to see how Max Domi does in uh, Columbus because the spotlight's not gonna be on him anymore um, as it was in Montreal. So I am curious how he does there. Um, it felt like he was like decent two years ago he kind of dropped off last year but uh, maybe he'll bounce back this year and with a change of scenery so I'm curious about that but um yeah we'll see um that's Columbus (laughs) yeah Columbus uh, a team in every sense of the word I feel like because that's the only way they they got where they were last year they were fighting for a playoff spot in a normal season um they were like if they didn't make it the playoffs in a normal year last year um they would just miss out like they did that with injuries galore too and they they've they fought their way into that position like that was hard-nosed teamwork like this team only scored 180 goals, but gave up 183, still had a 33-22-15 and 15 record, 81 points to show for it. And they got all of those wins in regulation or overtime, got no help in the shootout. But they had a chance to win basically every single game. And yes, their goaltending had a lot to do with it. Their penalty kill was 81.7% successful. Their power play wasn't good. All they did was add Max Domi, Mikhail Grigorenko, which is bottom six depth, and Miko Koivu, which is good for leadership, but also, I think, bottom six depth offensively. And they bought, they trade away Josh Anderson. They buy out Alex Wenberg. They trade away Brian Murray to New Jersey. They trade Marcus Nudebera to the Panthers, and they don't keep Marco Dano. He signs as a free agent with the, the Winnipeg Jets, I believe. Um, so, like, in, in terms of their offense, it's – if it's oh, if it's worse, it's only by a little bit. But it's I don't think anywhere it's as good as it was last year. Maybe yeah. like just a little bit better, if any, uh, compared to last year. And, and last year their offense didn't do it justice. They had to rely on team defense and goaltending all the way through. Um, and spoiler alert: if you thought the injury news was gonna let up a little bit, Gustav Nyquist had offseason surgery. 
they'll check back in in five months. So we don't even know how healthy he is at this point. Yep. And if he is healthy, if it'll if that offseason surgery will affect his play or not because of the shortened offseason. Um, so there's there's also that to consider. Um, Max Domi, the good news about him is low-key, he had a 70-plus point season a few seasons ago. So he has top six potential. And we all know how good Dubois has been. He's been a consistent goal scorer and playmaker for Columbus, a very feisty guy that gets under your skin. That's great. Zacharynski and Seth Jones, huge part, huge parts that they play on their defense cannot be underestimated how good they are. Um, and, of course, Corpus Allen and Merce Lincolns, um, they've, they've, they've been pretty good. But I'm just looking at their struggle to score goals, even with Dubois in the fold, even if things get resolved. This team struggles to score in the power play. They struggle to score at five on five. Honestly, there is a point where reality is going to start to set in yeah. after a heroic, valiant battle like they they put forward. They're not going to back down from any fight. They're going to be in contention. They have a lot of good leaders on that team. They're not going to make it easy. But I think the message that John Tortorella sends is going to grow a bit stale if this team gets off to a very cold start. It would honestly not surprise me if Tortorella loses his job by the end of this year, yeah. if this team doesn't perform. And it's not Dubois that state that, that goes, it's Tortorella. Because there was one point in the playoffs last year where Columbus was down, I think it was like 2 nothing or 3 nothing. This was game three against Toronto. And Dubois and Tortorella were spotted. Things got a little bit heated. Dubois played inspired hockey, mind you. Columbus came back. They won that game in overtime, eventually won the series. But when I heard that news that Dubois might want out, I'm just thinking how much of this has to do with John Tortorella yeah. and not that he wants out of Columbus. So that's that's the other thing is what's John Tortorella's future with the Blue Jackets, not just these players. Because if, if they start off cold, it wouldn't surprise me if – if a coaching change is made because as much as John Tortorella has been a good coach and he's done a lot of good for a lot of teams and he did a lot of good with the blue jackets and his coaching was the, one of the main reasons why Columbus was able to put forth the valiant fight that they did. Yeah. His message grows stale after a while and he has a shelf life. Yeah. He is a coach that has a shelf life and True. He's been in Columbus for five, six, seven years now. It could it could be uh, reaching the end of the road there uh, for John Tortorella. So I'm not going to guarantee that he loses his job. I, I hope, obviously, he keeps it, and I hope Columbus has a good year. But there are a lot of heavy hitters in this division. I just don't know if Columbus has the firepower to hang with them. Yeah. And, at, and at some point... If you look at the lineup and, and not much has changed, then you have to look at the coaching staff and say, well, how much of it has to do with them? So, um, personally, I, if I had to look at one particular player to to kind of, like, um, step up and, and be a difference maker for Columbus, and he has shown signs in the past that he can do that, it would be Oliver Bjorkstrand. Oh, yeah. Um, because people talk about Cam Atkinson as the focal point of their goal scoring, which he definitely is. But the amount of production that Bjorkstrand has put forward with the amount of ice time he's been given, 
I hope he honestly gets consistent top six minutes, consistent top line power play minutes to show what he can really do because I definitely think he has what it takes to become that secret weapon for the Blue Jackets. But again, even even with all of that, how much better are the Columbus Blue Jackets? Can they can they beat those heavy hitters like Tampa Bay and Carolina? I really don't know. You went. It's funny that you went from Torts was robbed of the Jack Adams to Torts might be fired this year. Um, so <laughs> it, it it all depends. It all depends because uh, like I I get the I I get the situation with Duchene not staying in Columbus and Panera not staying in Columbus and Bobrovsky not staying in Columbus. Yeah. Like I don't think Tortorella had much to do with that. No, but it's that, it's just funny because you were you went to bat for him a couple of months ago because yeah. you thought that he was robbed of the Jack Adams, but now you're thinking like, oh, you can, uh, he's 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 gonna be, uh, he's not good anymore, and he's not gonna be on Columbus well, anymore. I, I'm not saying that he's not good anymore. It's just that he's been around the team quite a bit. He has a shelf life, and regardless of how good the Columbus Blue Jackets were last year. I mean, you look at the rosters at yep. a lot of these teams, and Columbus isn't looking in the best Oh, no, I, I agree with and that. Yeah. They can put up a good fight, but now you got this news about Pierre-Luc Dubois. If they're leaving Columbus because they don't like the coach, oh, yeah, yeah. well, that's not going to be a good message for the Well, I, I don't know if... Everyone leaves. Yeah, I don't know if, if Dubois, it's because... Dubois doesn't like the coach, I think. Yeah, again, we don't yeah. know. We don't know but for I sure. Remember that, I remember that play, and I'm just thinking, well, is it is it because it's is it for the same reasons that... Well, then you're just speculating. Or is it because of the coach? I don't know. Well, well then you're just speculating. We don't we don't, really don't know why yeah, like, Dubois I, I, I might be unhappy. I'm sure, but that, that moment did stick out in my mind. I, I think like, there is a potential, though, that... that coach, right? I think there is and a potential. I think there is. I think it has more to do with the fact that how Columbus handled the Panarin and Bobrovsky situation. That could also be true. Yeah, yes. I think I think that has more to do with it. Like it's like, oh well, like yeah, I know that we were like, we got all these players for a run now, but now that it's over, it's just like so you just forgot about us. It's like we're chopped liver. So I can I can understand that perspective, and I think that has more to do with it than towards uh, being a hard-nosed coach. Um, because I think Dubois is like, you know, he's been good when, with, and Torts has been his only coach so in the NHL. So I think he's okay with Torts, I would imagine. But I don't I don't think it has to do with Torts. But again, I'm even speculating with that. But I'd imagine that has more to do with it than if If it's not, if it's not Tortorella, that's... A- the fault of a lot of these players yeah. leaving it could be it could be the guys calling the shots yeah. and that would be Yarmo Kekalainen yeah yeah all right so anyways one of the two take your pick there's yeah. a reason why these players are leaving Columbus but uh, again we're it's speculating not, it's not just a one time thing now. again it's, there's yeah. something bigger again we're speculating and we'll probably get yeah. into it next week so um yeah. Dallas um, is the next team we have on our list by the way I think we officially have gone over the two hours so Good on you if you guys have to stick with it. <laughs> we we applaud you. Uh, so Dallas is our next team here. They didn't really add much or subtract much, really. Um, Mark Pizik was their main uh, addition. Their subtraction was 
uh, Matthias Janmark and Corey Perry. Um, so that's going to be um, interesting, but that's not like too too bad. I think their biggest loss, however, is uh, Tyler Sagan is um, announced that he had a surgery in December and he's going to probably be gone for most of the season um, so that they won't have Tyler Sagan. Also, Ben Bishop said that he's also he also had surgery in December and he'll probably be back in half the year. Um, of course, this all has to do with the fact that they had a long playoff run. Stanley, they made it to the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, they were kind of, um, even though they were the three seed, they were kind of like um, the underdog throughout the entire playoffs. Uh, we thought that they were, like, most of the people thought that they were going to lose to Colorado. Um, they didn't. They thought that they were going to lose to Vegas. They didn't. They ended up losing to Tampa, which coincidentally is going to be in their division. It must be the first time in the post-original six era that two teams that met in the Stanley Cup Finals are going to be in the same division. It must be. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, so, so now uh, they're kind of in good hands, I guess, because they have Anton Kudobin. Uh, we sh- like that was a good thing that we were able to see how good Anton Kudobin can be um, in like 20 games that he played. He was their best player by far um, in all those games. Um, and yeah, I think at the end of it all, like they, they lost in the Stanley Cup playoffs and it's hard to blame them, but I think we found out that like so many of their guys were injured. Tyler Sagan was basically a walking corpse at that point. Uh, Radek Faxo was out. Uh, Rupe Hintz was out. Um, and I think there was a couple of other injuries, uh, key injuries there too. So they were just out of luck. But I think the most interesting part about the star, the stars team was that like they had, you know, when they were under Lindy Ruff, the big, uh, knock on them was that their defense wasn't doing well, but their offense was was getting going and was probably one of the best offenses in the league. Uh, then you have Jim Montgomery, who was uh, their coach, and it was kind of the opposite, where their defense was pretty good, but they couldn't really score all of a sudden. Um, and then you add in, um, you know, Rick Bonus, um, and all of a sudden, like, they start scoring, and their defense is pretty good, too. So, um, so that's going to be the interesting part, um, and I am curious to see how they'll do without Ben Bishop and Tyler Sagan primarily in their lineup. But at the same time, like you know, this this team is like the true wild card where they they could make they could be a really good team even without those two key players. Yeah. So the the thing with Dallas is that Rick Bonus is still their coach. He's no longer the interim. He's their guy. Uh, they were able to keep guys like Anton Udovin and Andre Sakara and Radek Faxa. Uh, and the only guys that left were Martin Hansel to retirement, and Matthias Janmark, Corey Perry, and Roman Polak, who is now playing in Europe, I believe. So they didn't lose any really key contributors outside of Sagan and Bishop to injury, and those are obviously big names that they lose to injury. Um, the question is, did they get better? And the only guy they added to the roster really was Mark Pisick, who's played a bit of forward, played a bit of defense. 
And I've mentioned it many times in this podcast before, what happened to the Sens after they went on that magical run in 2017. They didn't really add anybody. They got on a roll to start 2017-18, struggled mightily, and now they're rebuilding. So now, to be clear, I'm not speculating that's what's going to happen to the Stars. That's not me saying Dallas is going to be rebuilding in a few years. Not saying that at all. But the young guys need to step up. Because Jamie Benn's getting older, Pavelski's getting older, Sagan's getting older, he's also injured, and Hugh Dovin's probably going to be playing most of the games that Ben Bishop doesn't because he's recovering from surgery. And even then, you don't know if the tandem of Bishop and Hugh Dovin can carry the workload and register the amount of awesome numbers that they did in previous years because they're also in their 30s. And that's why... The younger players need to emerge like Denis Gurianov and Rupe Hintz, two of the, the names in particular. So I'm looking for them to have like 35 to 40 points this season, maybe more. If they can do that, that's very good for Dallas because they need the goal scoring. They need the goal scoring outside of the regular sources in order to remain competitive. The good news for them on the back end is Miro Heiskanen has already matured as an NHL player. He went up against some of the league's best players in the 2020 playoffs, posted great offensive numbers, and he hardly got penalized for doing so. That's incredible. That's being a great offensive defenseman, being a great defensive defenseman, and just being a workhorse. So I'm confident that he's going to continue to evolve his play further. Defense, I don't think it's going to be a problem. Goaltending, it, it, it might be a concern at times, but overall, I think it'll be good. Um, but like I said, the depth guys like Henson Gurianov are going to need to step up. Jason Dickinson's going to have to step up. If guys like Jason Robertson, Ty Delandria, and perhaps Thomas Hurley um, get NHL minutes this year, I would like to see them show signs of positive progress. If the young guys straight up, if they don't show up, it could be a long year for Dallas. Yeah, I I think that's a fair point. It's just seeing if any of these depth guys are going to show up or not. And yeah, I think they're I think they're in good shape, but yeah, you do bring up a good point that like they kind of needed to make some moves in the offseason cuz they did make the Stanley Cup finals, but um that might not be enough eventually, so we'll see. Um yeah. Anyways, um Okay, uh, let's go to Detroit is our next team here. Uh, they kind of added a couple of players that are interesting here. Uh, Thomas Grice, uh, Nikita Nemistikov. Is it Nikita? I think it's Vladislav. Sorry, not Nikita. Bobby Ryan. They also get Mark Stahl and Troy Stetcher. Uh, they don't have uh, Dmitry Temeshov. Um, and I, Jimmy Howard's still a UFA, but, um, he's, he's not going to be on Detroit, it, it seems like. Um, so, um, yeah, D- Detroit was by far the worst team last year. Um, it wasn't even close, um, at the end of it, but that, all that did was give them the, uh, third, no, the fourth, um, they didn't even win the lottery. Um, and so they got the fourth pick, which was Lucas Raymond, um, which isn't bad. So, so that was good on them. But of course, uh, I think they would rather have 
Tim Stusla, Alexis Lafournier, or Quentin Byfield, but either or. But um, yeah, this year it's it's going to be interesting to see how, how, if they're the Red Wings are going to be that bad again. Um, I think a big reason why the Red Wings were that bad last year was because of, you know, Anthony Mantha goes out um, last year. Uh, then they don't really have good goaltending in Jonathan Bernier or Jimmy Howard. Um, and as good as Dylan Larkin is and Tyler Bertuzzi, they just, you know, they weren't able to just bring up the team here. Um, so that's going to be kind of my storyline is, will Detroit be that bad again? Um, I do think they'll still be one of the worst teams in the entire league, but I don't think they're going to be that bad. Um, and here's why. One, as I mentioned, Anthony Mantha is coming back. He had 38 points in 43 games. Um, that's pretty good. I remember there was a couple of games where he like would get like I think he had like a four goal game last year. So um, yeah, he he's impressive. Um, and of course, you know you have Dylan Larkin and Tyler Bertuzzi who are also doing well. Um, I think there's also uh, the factor of Thomas Grice is a better goaltender than uh, Jonathan Bernier and Jimmy Howard. Um, I think we're gonna see the likes of Moritz Sider. Um, in the mix, we're also going to see, you know, Phil Peronic had his moments as well. I think we're going to also see a bounce back from Bobby Ryan. I, I'm looking forward to that. I think that's going to be kind of fun. Um, I think he's going to be given a lot of opportunity to do well in that system. And so that's going to be, uh, that could be a good story to look out for. Um, and also, uh, Philip Zadina is the other one too. Um, so I think that that's going to help them a lot too. Cause if, if you forget that he had 15 points in 28 games before he got injured, um, but he was just getting going, um, before he, uh, he got injured for the full year. So, um, yeah, I think they can, the Red Wings considered last year, like a lost season and I think they'll be decent, but I don't think they're going to be like a playoff team or even a on the bubble team, but I think they won't be that bad uh, again. Yeah, so to put into perspective how bad Detroit was, they were 17-49-5, had 14 regulation overtime wins, scored 142 goals, gave up 265 Killed off 74.3% of their penalties and were just a shed under 15% successful in the power play. Not great. Um, and I don't think they'll be as bad because I think last year they didn't really have the roster similar to Ottawa to be good. Um, and sure, they bring in Bobby Ryan and Nemesnikov and Thomas Grice and Mark Stahl and Troy Stetcher and John Merrill. And I don't think they're abundantly great or even average or close to average. The good news is they were able to buy out Justin Abdelkader's contract, so they have a bit of money to work with. Jimmy Howard is not coming back. Trevor Daly is retired. And more of their questionable long-term contracts are going to be coming off the books in the coming years. So they're going to have even more cap space to work with once we get through this year. So that's the good news. You can see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's slowly going to start to get better. 
I think Bernier and Grice are going to be an underrated 1A, 1B tandem in the league. I don't think they're even that bad. I think they're going to put up pretty decent numbers considering the team that they play on. Um, I think overall there's there's a lot to be excited about. It's just going to yeah. take a lot of patience. The young guys are going to need to take more strides, as you said. Philip Aronik and uh, Philip Sedina, both of whom are playing very well overseas before getting uh, called up by Detroit to start the year, so that's good. Um, they're playing well. Lucas Raymond's playing well. I think defense and coaching are the things I'm really looking at because, like I said, their penalty kill, horrendous. Five-on-five five defense, not good. So that needs to change. And the other thing is going through my mind right now is can Jeff Blashill be the long-term voice behind the Red Wings bench? I honestly don't know if he is. And if he's not, the Red Wings need to figure that out and they need to find someone who can lead. So um, that that will be the other question I think they need to look at heavily this season is can Jeff Blashill do the job when we start to win again? So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think... I, I feel like for coaches of rebuilding teams, like they don't necessarily need to worry about that at the moment. Um, but yeah, maybe Blashell will be fired before then. But I, I feel like there's less pressure on coaches because, you know, you're not. I mean, I guess obviously the focus is always to win. Uh, and that's what you want to do as a coach and as a player. But I don't know if it, it's necessarily going to happen. But we'll see. Let's go to the next team that I have here, uh, Florida. They uh, they kind of did a fair amount this this year. Um, they get Anthony DeClaire. Um, they also get Patrick Hornquist. Um, they also have Radko Gudis and Alex Wenberg, um, and as well as Carter Verhage for some added depth. I put in Anton Lindell because I think there is a chance that he'll surprise um, and maybe make um, an appearance in the NHL, but it might not be likely. Um, in terms of subtractions, we have Evgeny Dadanoff and Mike Hoffman. Um, so that that's probably going to be a big loss there. And then you also have uh, Colton Skevier and Mike Matheson as well. So um, Florida Panthers, they... They were an interesting team, I suppose. Uh, of course, they have Jonathan Huberdeau and Alexander Barkov, and they're always good. Um, and then you have the like the underrated Keith Yandel. And I think, in some respect, Aaron Ekblad is kind of underrated too uh, now. So they have those guys. But I think the biggest surprise um, and something that they have to consider is Sergei Bobrovsky was not good. Um, or as good as advertised, ad, as advertised. Um, he had a 900 save percentage and a 3.23 GAA. But, surprisingly, Chris Drager, Drager who had a 2.05 GAA and a, a save percentage of 938. However, that was in 12 games. He was, he was pretty good. But, um, yeah, they were in fourth division. And the main reason why they were even in the playoffs was because of the, um, yeah, the playoffs stuff, and, um, the playoff stuff, what am I talking about? <laughs> uh, the main reason why they were in the playoffs is just because of the weird year that 
that happened. So, um, and I guess also in the good news with the goaltending is that if you're watching the World Juniors, you got to love that you have Spencer Knight for Team USA, who's only allowed, like, one goal in, uh, in like, four games. Uh, or, sorry, two goals in four games, which is incredible. And then you also have Devin Levi, um, who was a six-round pick uh, for Team Canada. Um, and, you know, and he, uh, he's been incredible and been the best goaltender in the whole World Junior. So, they, so if you're a Florida fan, you have to look forward to Spencer Knight and Devon Levi for competing, uh, not just in the World Juniors, but they're going to be competing um, on the same team pretty soon. Yeah, so Florida is one of those teams, as we mentioned, with like uh, the Penguins and the Capitals. They've also gone through a lot of changes. Um, almost immediately after losing to the Islanders in the play, and Dale Talon out as GM, Bill Zito uh, leaves the Blue Jackets uh, to fill this gap yep. a short time later. Uh, Mike Kitchen uh, left the team due to bad conduct. Ole Samuelson takes his place. They bring in Shane Churla to their scouting department. And uh, Brett Peterson, hired as the first black assistant general manager in NHL history, um, seems like a pretty bright mind from what I'm reading as well. Um, and then you look at their roster and realize, well, they changed a lot there too. As you mentioned, Dadnov, Hoffman, gone. Mike Matheson, trade to Pittsburgh. Golden Skeevier, staying Beal. Uh, Mark Pissick, Dryden Hunt, gone. Eric Halla, gone. Lucas Walmart, gone. Um, and they use a lot of that cap space to focus on their offensive depth, which, which it honestly, it's, it's an interesting gamble, but one that could work because as good as their top six was outside of that, it wasn't that promising outside of Frank Vitrano they didn't really have too many standalone, um, bottom six forwards. Um, so now they're bringing in guys like Anthony Duclair and Patrick Hornquist that maybe doesn't have the offense, but he has, toughness character grit gets under your skin that i think uh florida needs more of uh, they also get alex wenberg on a cheap deal they do the same with finney and with carter verhage martis nudevera who bill zito knows from columbus um on defense they bring in uh, the uh chippy nature of Racco gudas so he's probably going to play a mike matheson type of role although he might not eat up as many minutes but they still have aaron Eckblad, they still have keith handel to to log most of the top pairing minutes. So um, I, I I think they look pretty decent there. And like you said, Brett Anton Lundell, maybe he comes in and plays a big role there too. Their power play is pretty good. Not sure if it's going to be as good as 21.3% good, but I think it could be decent. The penalty kill needs some work. The defense, uh, the goals against, that definitely needs some work because even though he scored 228 goals, they gave up 224. I don't know overall if they're better on defense by signing Gudis and trading away someone like Mike Matheson. Um, and it's also interesting with their backup goalie situation because Dan Montembeau um, was re-signed to a short-term deal and, and he's shown signs of promise. But Chris Drieger, who was like a third or a fourth stringer with the Sens a few years ago, comes out of nowhere and plays pretty good. Uh, maybe goes on like a mini hamburger run, and that's the best hockey we see of him. Or maybe he's the better backup, and he, he gets a gig out of it. So we'll see. All I know is that Sergei Bobrovsky had worse numbers than Montembeau, and he had worse numbers than Chris Trieger. 
and you're paying him ten million to not do that. So right. uh, the storyline for Florida, get the real Sergey Bobrovsky back yeah. because none of what you did matters if Bobrovsky isn't on top of his game in this division or in any division. Yeah, that is a good point. Uh, I wonder, I'm curious if Bobrovsky will be the guy eventually. We'll see. Um, okay. Um, what do we have here? Okay, so the next team we have is Nashville. Um, they kind of, I guess they also do a bit of a lot here too. Uh, they add Eric Halla and Luke Kunin. Um, they also have Nick Cousins and Mark Barowiecki. Um, I think that's 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 how you pronounce his last name, right? Borowiecki. It's, uh, it's pronounced Borowiecki, but we call him Borokop. Of course, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, Mark Borowiecki is the answer. To yeah. Um, anyways, uh, so those are the four key additions there. Uh, they lose out on Austin Watson, uh, Craig Smith, and Nick Bonino. Um, and then in terms of the storyline that I'm curious about, um, was their goaltending. Um, they do get uh, Askarov um, in the draft this year, and that should help them, but not this season um, because uh, you have um, because he's kind of a few years away, but there's still um, something that's going to happen where Pekka Rene, uh, he had a, a save percentage of 895, and a uh, GAA of 3.17. And then you, he split time with UC Saros, who did a bit better, um, who had a 9.14 save percentage and a GAA of 2.70. Um, and last year, if I remember correctly, he, um, I think, like, towards the second half, UC Saros was, like, the best goaltender um, other than Shesterkin. Um So... Uh, it's, uh, so I think like just in, from a stats perspective, um, so I'm curious to see how they manage this because I think the fact that they even drafted Askarov just shows that they don't know what they have in Saros. Um, and I think we can assume that Pecorine is probably in his last year this year. So we'll see how that goes, but, um, yeah, it's it's not looking uh, great for them. Um, if Saros can be the guy, then great. But I think inevitably, it's this is Askarov's net, um, and I'm just curious how that's going to work out for them. And I guess on like the front end of things, I'm curious to see if you know Matt Duchesne had 42 points in 66 games, which is okay, but he's being paid like seven million dollars for eight more years. Um, that's not going to cut it. Um, so I'm curious to see if he can bounce back and live up to the expectations that everyone had of him when they first signed him. Um, and they get like guys like, uh, Mikhail Granlin, they get Eric Halla that should, and Luke Kunin, that should sh help with their, you know, second and third lines, whichever one, uh, however the lines work out for them, but, um, that should help in terms of depth, but, I'm not sure if it's going to move the needle a ton. Um, but, yeah, I think that this is like a, a team that could be on. I feel like it's sort of on the way to uh, irrelevancy where they're just in the middle 
Like they're not bad enough to get a lot a big lottery pick, but they're not good enough to like be serious contenders either. So, um, yeah, um, that's Nashville for you. <laughs> yeah, and Nashville. The the thing with Nashville is that um, they're also like you said, running out of time in their championship window, and they tinker with their roster by buying yeah. out tourists, uh, buying out uh, who they yeah, signed a couple well. years ago to a six-year extension. So talk about instant regret. Yep. Um, and then they buy out Steven Santini. Uh, they lose Craig Smith to free agency. Dan Hughes retires. Uh, Nick Bonino trades to Minnesota. Austin Watson trades to Ottawa for a pick. Um and they recently signed him as well. So David Poyle was kind of shaken up the roster by by trading away guys who he recently signed to the new contracts and just said, "Look, there's no guarantees, and if I'm gonna if if you guys aren't giving me results, I'm gonna continue making moves to help this team win." So I think um, you're gonna see a very motivated Nashville team. They bring in Eric Halla. They bring in they bring back Mikhail Granlund for less money, which is good. Uh, Luke Coonan hasn't signed yet, but they got him in the Nick Bonino trade with Minnesota. Matt Benning comes from Edmonton. Mark Borbietsky, one of the hardest hitters in the league. I think they were lacking a bit of that grit and toughness, so they add him. Uh, Brad Richardson, a good depth forward, a guy that's been in the league a while. Uh, more recently with Arizona, they bring him in. Nick Cousins for depth scoring. Um, he's been around the league with Arizona, with Philly, with Montreal, with Vegas. Um, so he could be a solid addition if they're in the pinch and need a goalie. Kasmir Kansky's will they have him as well. So um, like Florida, uh, David Poyle was focused on spending his money on uh, depth forwards and uh, depth defensemen. And the fact of the matter is their penalty kill wasn't great. It was 76.1% successful. Their power play has been a problem for years. They had a negative two goal differential despite having the likes of Matt Duchesne and Roman Yossi, Ryan Johansson on the team, Ryan Ellis on the team. And out of those names, the guys that really showed up were Ryan Ellis, who was injured for a good chunk of the year, and Roman Yossi, who played all of the year and was by far and away um, the league's top defenseman and the team's best player, the best scorer. Uh, That needs to change. This team needs to be motivated. They need to perform. And no one can give an inch. And I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how they work uh, around the offense. I heard that David Poyle, the Preds GM, wants Matt Duchesne to play with Ely Tolvanen and Luke Kunin uh, in the new year. So I'm not sure um, how they're going to be able to get offense uh, from their lines, who's going to play with what. And I think the bigger storyline, although goaltending is a big storyline, the bigger storyline is John Hines and whether or not he has what it takes to get the most out of this group. Because towards the end of Peter Laviolette's uh, tenure in Nashville, he wasn't able to get the most out of his group. They underperformed. Uh, John Hines is what I would have a full season to prove that he can be the right voice for the job. And if he's not, um, tough to say if Nashville's a playoff team. Yeah, that's a good point. I'd forgotten they have John Hines as the coach. Um, yeah, it's, it didn't seem like he earned a right to even be a part of the team, the way that he handled New Jersey. So we'll see, I guess, but yeah, anyways, um, okay. 
Let's uh, and then our last team here is the Stanley Cup champions, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, <clears throat> they add Marion Gabarik and Anders Nielsen. Um, they also add Andreas Borgman. Of course, Gabarik and Nielsen are both going to be on LTIR. Um, and then they also, um, I, I added this guy as a subtraction, even though technically, obviously, he's still on the team. But Nikita Kucherov, uh, he's going to be out on long-term IR. Um, and then it was the way that they were able to sign um, Chernak and Sorelli um, and those guys. Um, it's a miracle that th those guys didn't get offer-sheeted. And they kind of—I mean—it's hard to say they lucked out when you get a—you have to put Kucherov in the LTIR, but um, it, in a way they kind of lucked out. Um, Shannon Kirk um, is also gone. Uh, Cedric Paquette and Braden Coburn are also gone as well. So, what's your storyline for Tampa? So overall, I. I think this team could still win the division without the likes of Nikita Kucherov because there's no doubt he's a top 10 player, top five player in this league right now with the way that he plays. And you also have Steven Stamkos who um, since the start of the 2020 playoffs, once again, the storyline has shifted to how healthy is he? And the answer is we don't know. Even entering the season, we don't know if he's fully healthy or not. And what he's able to do this year, we'll have to wait and see. The good news is Braden Point is a stud. He turned into a superstar in the playoffs. Sorelli was top five in uh, Selkie voting. And you still have Tyler Johnson. You still have Andre Palat. You still have Alex Kalorin. You still have Yanni Gord. They don't mind losing Carter Verhage, Carter Verhage and Cedric Paquette because they can manufacture offense without Kutra, without Stankos. Um so I, I think also you have the likes of Matthew Joseph and Alexander Volkov possibly getting more minutes. AHL guys like Alex Boré Boulay maybe getting a chance to shine. So their offense looks good. Defensively, you lose Braden Coburn, mid to late 30s guy. Not sure if his better years are behind him. I guess you're okay losing that. Zach Bogosian losing him to the Leafs. Eh, it's whatever. Kevin Shattenkirk, a good defense, uh, a good offensive defenseman, not the reason why Tampa's that good defensively. They're good because they have Victor Hedman, they have Ryan McDonough, and they'll have Callum Foote uh, waiting in the wings. They have Eric Sternak and Ian Ruta. Again, they're fine defensively. And their goaltending remains the same. They have Vasilevsky and they have McElhinney backing him up. I would say the main storyline surrounds a player that I mentioned a second ago, Alex Barry Boulay. This is a guy that can emerge, I think, in the next 12 to 18 months as a top six sport. Yeah. And he's had some good years in the queue. He's had a last couple of years, last year or two, he's been great for the Syracuse Crunch in the AHL. Um, at some point, the likes of Palat, Johnson, and Kalorn are going to be out the door. If Barre Boulay is able to pick up points, it's going to be much easier for them to make that decision. And it'll extend Tampa's winning window beyond this year. So I'm interested to see if they create a role for Alex Barre Boulay and um, if they can, what he can do with it. Yeah, that's that's a definitely interesting thing. And there's definitely room for him when Kucherov's going to be out. So um, he, he's been like really good in the AHL for the last couple of years. So... That's a, definitely an interesting one. 
uh, to talk about. So, uh, without further ado, here's our top four. I know we're running long and all that stuff, so hopefully it wasn't too boring. Um, top four, I have, I think I have Carolina. I guess there is concerns about goaltending, but I think a lot of their key players are going to take it up a notch, especially Sveshnikov and Dougie Hamilton. Um, so I think those are going to help, and I feel like the goaltending is only going to be a big deal until after, during the playoffs. Um, I'm going to put Tampa second. I think there is some concerns with Kucherov being out. I feel like that's someone that you can't easily replace. Um, and um, there's also like the factor of like they're the tiredest team in the in the league because they literally were in the Stanley Cup Finals and all that stuff, so they didn't have a ton of rest. Um, and it's there's still some unclarity about um, how healthy Steven Stamkos can be too. So um, so I'm kind of worried about them, but not enough to put them down uh, to at least second in the division. Again, I wouldn't be surprised if they're first, but that's how I see it. Uh, third, I think Columbus. Um, I, I I don't know. I guess I'm higher on Elvis Merzilkins than most, so maybe that's probably why I have him up there. But, um, but yeah, I think Columbus, um, I have third, and I think Torts um, is a very good coach, despite what you said. Um, and I think there is something there that I think they'll they'll work as a team together. There, so I have them third, and then fourth. Um, this was tough, but I think I have Dallas there. I know they don't have Sagan and they don't have Bishop, and that's definitely going to hurt them. And again, they also have the Tampa syndrome of like <laughs> like being the most tired team, and they're also the most injured team too. But I, I just don't know if there's another team in this division other than, I guess, Nashville and maybe Florida that can um, that can usurp them. But I, I just have Dallas there for because I think they will have enough. But I think this is probably the easiest division because Chicago and Detroit are in this division. <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah, so Tampa, I, I think it will be a tough race between Tampa and Carolina. I think Tampa is just going to have enough to beat out Carolina for the division yep. title. But Carolina is going to be a solid number two seed. I really like uh, what they have to offer. Nashville, I think, is going to be good enough to secure the third playoff spot, although it will be close. There'll be not there, there won't be much separation between them and fourth place. And then in terms of who lands the final spot, I think Dallas barely beats out Florida by a few points. I, I think they're going to have enough talent to get it done. Um, and we'll talk more about Columbus next week. It's not that I'm doubting Tortorella. It's just that there are a lot of teams that are going to be hungry to make a statement in this division after disappointing ends to last year. And even with the healthy Columbus roster, I don't know if they're going to have enough talent to get it done. So. Yeah. Uh, that's ultimately why I don't have Columbus in the mix. Again, I would I would be happy if they did make it because I do like Torts and I do like Columbus and the vision that they have. I just don't know with those heavy hitters if they're going to be able to hang. So we'll see. Yeah, I also have uh, two. So that's it for us here. Uh, apologies if it's too long for you guys. Uh, I do have some news stories here, though. 
One, uh, Joe Thornton uh, is going to be on the first line um, in Toronto somehow. Um, that's all over. That's all Maple Leafs fans in my chat are talking about. Um, oh, so, so that's why he was trending today. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to stick, but uh, apparently in practice today he was on the top line. Um, and then secondly, uh, Dylan Strome, uh, he ex- he has a two-year contract extension. He gets uh, $3 million per year, so that's not too bad. And, I mean, <laughs> we'll see what he can do without, um, without all that stuff. So we'll see. Um, yeah, uh, that's about it for us. I'm Brett Duboff. Um, oh, wait. So hold on, hold on. Uh, Lace Up. Lace em Podcast is our Twitter. Lace em Up is our Facebook. Um, and uh, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcast, iTunes. Um, Lace em Up is uh, where you would get them. So I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. Bless you for tuning in and for bearing with us. We hope uh, you got your hockey content fixed, and we'll talk again in episode 251 of the Lace Month Podcast. All right.